Welcome to the 10th ever episode of the Video Store Junkies podcast, a podcast about movies and the experience of watching them. It's Friday night, so of course we are back in the video store, and tonight we're going to be checking out one of the... Oh, I'm sorry, I, I think we're in the wrong section. Uh, we don't usually rent video games here, but I'm, I'm saying we're apparently gathered around a copy of Super Mario Brothers. Wait, what? <laughs> They're brothers. They're plumbers. They're on the trail of a kidnapped princess and a mystical meteorite that gives anyone who possesses it the power. To rule the universe. Get me the rock! That's right. Tonight we're going to be talking about Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Now, this is something of a first in cinematic history because it's kind of hard to remember a time today in 2021 where at least one big video game movie wasn't coming out every single year. In fact, the day that we are recording this uh, is the day that the new Mortal Kombat movie is coming out on HBO Max and in theaters which is probably one of the uh, more anticipated films of the year. So that's kind of par for the course these days. But back in the year 1993, things were different. In fact, things were so different that there hadn't really been a big budget, or actually there hadn't been any big budget live action video game film at the time. And so we're going to be talking about kind of the film that maybe paved the way for others, but not really. So uh, before we start, let's go around and, as usual, introduce ourselves and talk about our first experiences with this film, kind of, you know, our background with it. And just for fun, let's also, since we're talking about Mario and everyone loves Mario and everyone has their favorite Mario game, let's talk about what is our favorite Mario game. And it could be, it can be, you know, any, he's been in a billion games. It can be any of those. If you've only played Donkey Kong, it could be that one. So let's start with, uh, Renee, let's start with you. Hi. Um, <laughs> so with this movie, I, I kind of distinctly remember having seen this in the movie theater. Unfortunately, that's really the only thing that I remember about it was having seen it in the movie theater. I couldn't remember anything else, but I really enjoyed watching it again. Um, and we'll get to that later. As for my favorite game, my favorite game is actually Super Mario All-Stars because it is one cartridge that contained Super Mario, Super Mario 2, and Super Mario 3 in one little cartridge, and I loved it so much. Um, I think I think 2 was probably my favorite, although, you know, I really loved 1. <laughs> so that's Really? You're talking about game. 2 on the NES? Uh, yeah. Okay, interesting, interesting. No, was and, it, I think it was Super NES at that point, wasn't it? No, it was uh, NES. Yeah, NES had had the second one, which is kind of weird because it was actually a, res a reskin of an existing game, so it doesn't share a lot of the gameplay elements that the other games have. So it's always interesting. A lot of, Some people do like that one more than the other one, so it's just interesting when people say that's their favorite. 
Yeah. It was, it was a reskin of Doki Doki Panic for those of you out there who care about that sort of thing. Did you want to say your full name, by the way, Renee, or do you just want to go by Renee? Oh, sure. I'm Renee St. Alban. Okay, perfect. Let's move on to the man who, appropriately enough, and this is really the only way to watch and or talk about this movie, but I think he's nearing the end of his first giant bowl of sugary cereal. <laughs> Paul, why don't you tell us tell us about your background with this film and also tell us what kind of cereal you're, you're eating right now. To me, son of Mario. Actually, my dad's name is Mario. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm Paul Cardulo. And uh, my background with this film was that when it came out, uh, I was, what, 25, 26? And was like, wow, that looks like crap. So I didn't watch it. <laughs> and um, I didn't watch it till a few weeks ago um, in preparation for this. And uh, I'll get into what I think about it. But um, yeah, I, I, at that point, I said, you know what? This is best, best viewed and enjoyed just buzzed out of your mind on sugary cereal. So I have a big bowl of, it's the only sugary cereal I have in my house right now. It's because my brother sent it to me. It's Little Debbie Oatmeal Cream Pie Cereal, which is actually surprisingly good. But I'm going to pace myself because last night I tried to rewatch the film and I had finished one bowl before the credits were, were done rolling and and then like polished off a second bowl really quickly. And then I drifted in and out of consciousness because of of insulin shock for the next hour. So I'm going to pace myself so I don't collapse during the podcast, hopefully. Um, and was that, did I cover everything I'm supposed to? Um, uh, I think you have a favorite Mario game. Oh, favorite Mario game. Yes. Uh, I'd say the, well, you know what? The one that I, I can't remember which number it is. It's one of the Mario party games. I think it's like Mario party five or something on the Wii. Um, because uh, my sons and I, when we played it, I say, we laugh so hard. Sometimes we'll set it to like have just an insane number of levels and want to kill each other. Like, no, make this damn game end. But we, we insist on playing all the way through it. And of course, like one of the mini games is we'll just say you have to take your Wii remote, remote, Wii, what, Wiimote? Wiimote. And it's supposed to be a can of soda um, that you're supposed to shake and see which one squirts highest. And uh, all I'm going <laughs> to say on. is, Look up, look up Mario Party uh, soda <laughs> on YouTube, and you'll understand why we die laughing playing. That's all I'm gonna say, um, uh, yeah. So there you go. Um, so yeah, that's it. Great. Back to the cereal and for me. Just really quick, one out of five. Give give us a rating for the cereal. It's actually really good. I'd say it's a four. It tastes Damn. surprisingly mm. similar to oatmeal cream. Pie. A four out of what? Five out of five. Oh, yeah, okay. and it, it it actually like uh, we were talking earlier, Bill, and you said there's like four, you know, basic cereal types. This yeah. one tastes completely different. It tastes kind of like oatmeal, almost sort of, um, with tons of sugar. And uh, mm. yeah, it's it's surprisingly so good. The and way they I hold eat oatmeal, yeah. Well enough. yeah, and they they hold up surprisingly <laughs> well enough. So that's that's Little Debbie oatmeal cream pie cereal from Kellogg's. Why, wait a minute. If we're going to do product placement, we need to get paid for it. That's no, how this we, works. we keep we keep doing product placement in the hope that someone will eventually pay us. Uh, yeah. So far, no takers, but, you know, we can dream. Mm. And if we if they don't pay us, we'll edit it so that, that say bad things about we'll it. We'll say it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. There you and we're not proud. I mean, we'll do we'll do like death gel for the military or something. I mean, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, we'll, we'll hawk pretty much anything. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, great. So let's move on to uh, a, a person that I imagine has probably played every single Mario game is in existence, especially the old ones. Uh, Alan, do you want to tell us your your background oh, yeah. with this film and your favorite Mario game? 
Oh, I'm sorry. I was drinking a Diet Dr. Pepper established 1885. <laughs> um, as always, oh, zero good. sugar, zero calories. Um, yeah. Um, so my first uh, experience with this movie was a couple of weeks ago when I had to watch it. Although I will say I, I saw this movie on the shelves many times and I kept saying, hey, I want to watch that. And I just never did. So um, I'm glad that you guys forced me to watch it. Well, so that I can now never watch it again but i, I I'm, I'm glad i saw it because i wanted to um now uh uh, uh mario games yeah I, i'm gonna have to go with two because i'm gonna have to pick one coin op game and one video game um my favorite uh coin op game you know that i played back in the day that had mario in it was uh donkey kong um and hands down my favorite video game uh with uh with mario in it is uh super mario kart on the wii and I think it's just because I've spent hours and hours and hours playing it. Cool. And and just to be clear, we, we do not force anyone to watch movies. It, you make us sound very cruel, Alan. This is uh this is voluntary. We did not force Alan to do anything. Um, I, I tell you what, the next movie I'm will... not gonna watch, and we'll see if you notice if mm. I you know <laughs> <laughs> I'd be very interested. I'd be very interested. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch a YouTube video, a uh just a few clips, and I think I can probably uh yeah, was I, was, I, was halfway, I was halfway convinced you didn't actually watch The Fifth Element, considering you thought it ended with uh, Beastie Boys. But... Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. And speaking of tricky people into watching things, we actually, I think we tricked yeah. him into watching this because he thought it was uh, a movie about Mario Baba, which it was not. But Bill still uh, watched this movie. Uh, why, don't, why don't you t introduce yourself and tell us about about your, your history with this film? I'm, I'm Bill Mulligan, a high school science teacher down in lee county north carolina and i managed to live a long life without having watched this movie but uh just when just when it looked like i would meet the end without having done it you guys talked me into watching it that and the sisterhood and god knows what else so you know i look like this was not as not as bad as i thought it would be so i'm glad we did i'm glad we'll get a chance to talk about it it's a mess but it's it's not the disaster i was led to believe it would be but I'm not really, I, okay, quite frankly, my favorite Mario uh, Brothers uh, game is Donkey Kong for the ColecoVision. And that's about it. Because, <laughs> that's a deep, deep cut. Yeah. When, when, wow. Coleco, when Coleco died, that's about also when my interest in video games died. I, you know, because, you know, I was, I was too old and had too many children to, to play a lot of video games. I like the simple ones, like Donkey Kong with repetition that you didn't have to think much about. About the only video games I play now are those stupid little jewels ones where you gotta match three things together. Yeah, Tetris is about as deep as I wanted to go. These folks are like, I spent 50 hours on this video game, had to unlock all the things. That was like, when I was a, when I was a young tyke, Zork and stuff, you could spend hours trying to solve these puzzles and, puzzles. and when it was over, all you had done was solve puzzles for Zork. There's like four people left alive who know what <laughs> Zork is. Um, oh, I love Zork. Text adventure. So, you know, Give was, egg I, to thief. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, Remember that? <laughs> you know, press these buttons. Uh, hours of your life wasted. You should have been doing anything else. Um, but anyway, I, I mean, I've played some of the games, the the cart things, and I'm just not good at this. I just mash a lot of buttons. And I see people, and they look like they know what they're doing, but but I don't. I just sort of push the stick forward, and it moves. And I try not to hit things. And I usually come in not last place because my grandchildren are playing it and they're like three years old. So I beat them. Bill has basically just described the whole plot to Mario Kart. 
push stick yeah. forward, try not to hit things. I mean, that uh, is what yeah, you do. Yeah. But then the people who know stuff, they're doing all kinds of shit. They're, they're throwing bombs at you and they do, oh, look, uh, if I mash these three buttons together and use my prehensile tail to press another thing, uh, all, all, everything is exploding and just nightmarish things are going on and you've turned tiny and your head is big and you're a panda. It, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> It's like Ranma one half suddenly came to life in the middle of your video game. And I can't make any sense of it whatsoever. So, yeah, but it's fun. I mean, it, you know, passes the time. So as usual, I have to mention, I love Bill's intros because he's the only person who I think could ever mention ColecoVision, Zork, and Ranma one half in a, in a single intro. So thank, thank you, you for that, Bill. <laughs> I've led an interesting life. <laughs> and uh last but and probably least i am zachary edgerton i remember watching this movie when i was a kid i remember enjoying it but honestly i was i think i remember being a little confused by it because when we'll get into that because i think most people <laughs> my age who watched it at the time were very confused and there's a gr good reason for why it is the film that it is and why it is not necessarily the most uh, kid-appropriate film. So I remember watching it a lot when I was a kid. I remember I, I definitely had this one on VHS. And I hadn't watched it in a long time. In fact, I did not realize until we started talking about doing this episode, because I had, I had mentioned this movie a couple of times, and then finally, I think it was Paul who was like, let's, let's do an episode on it. And I started doing some research. There is a small but very dedicated contingent of people who have actually spent pretty much like I think the last 10 years trying to dig up everything they can about this movie. So uh, it's kind of interesting. There's a lot of information out there. We'll cover some of it. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's very weird that there's like this dead. There's there's a very kind of dedicated cult. I mean, people throw around the term cult film a lot. And this is actually a film that I think qualifies as a cult film, which is kind of funny because when it was released, it was kind of this big, you know, Hollywood film. That being said, uh, let's get into the history a little bit. Now, there's actually a ton of history. I, I think we're actually just going to skim the, sur the surface because there is so much that people have collected and documented over the years about this. So I'll, I'll just kind of give the thumbnail that I have. And if you guys want to jump in, I know that some people, you know, especially Renee does a lot of research. So, but I mean, the, the background is, like I said in the intro, this movie kind of started in 91. And it kind of started with uh, Roland Joffe, who was the producer, who kind of, I guess, knew that he wanted to make a film based on this IP. He didn't, I don't think he really had an idea about the exact story, but he actually did have some very strong ideas about like what the movie would look like. And he actually went to Nintendo and he had all, I guess, all these like visuals that he pitched them with. And he got the rights to the film and apparently there were a lot of people at the time because mario was very hot the super nintendo had just come out well i guess i was actually around the time that he was pitching them that super nintendo was coming out because it was august of 91 and super mario world came out and that was a huge hit hey can, so there can were i just interrupt one thing yeah. when, when we say roland joffrey joffrey um he's the director of the killing fields yes Yes. Which is pretty much like <laughs> if there's a bizarro world, that's the anti Super Mario Brothers. So yes. we're not talking about some cigar chomping guy who just like, ah, what's hot now? What can I, what can I make an easy buck on? This is like a legit filmmaker who made great Academy Award winning serious movies about genocide. Yeah. So he, he was 
<laughs> yeah, no, he, he was he was actually he was nominated for an Oscar for that film. Yeah, he was not some, uh, you know, he was not some random producer who was just I mean, obviously he was looking to make money, but he had some like legitimate uh, filmmaking credentials. Definitely. Um, so, yeah. So so he he pitched this idea to, to Nintendo and I guess Nintendo liked his pitch. They even told him, you know, there are people who are offering more money, but eventually or, or that they were offering them more money for the rights. But eventually he walked away with the rights for two million dollars. And he was also working with the other producer, Jake Eberts, who I guess they were basically putting this project together. Now, Jake Eberts had produced a ton of movies. He produced, I think, uh, Dances of the Wolves. He actually had a, a very kind of extensive background. He had produced The, the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. And he would also go on to produce a, a bunch of movies after this. So this is kind of a unique, I mean, it's kind of funny because a lot of the movies, actually I think pretty much every movie we have talked about up until this point has been a creator kind of writing a film and then trying to get it made. And that is actually not necessarily the norm in Hollywood. This is actually how a lot of movies get, get made. A producer says, I want to make a movie. I don't know, you know, based on something, I don't know exactly what it's going to be. I will find, a, you know, I'll get the rights. I'll find a screenwriter. I'll find a director. So it's kind of funny that this is, this is actually how most movies are made, especially if they're based on a property. But this is kind of the first time that we've, we've covered one like yeah. this. And, and it's also why I, I actually, I think we're going to put together a side episode and maybe even dive a little deeper into the background because there's a lot of stuff, like I said, and I'll actually mention at the top here, a lot of the research that I did for this uh, is thanks to the Super Mario Brothers movie archive, which you can find at smbmovie.com. And they are, I think it's like two guys who run the site, but they are dedicated to finding every little thing about this film they possibly can. So yeah, there, there's if you if you like this movie, actually, I would recommend going and visiting that site because so much of the things that we actually know about the movie and kind of like the making of it is actually thanks to that site. So so yeah, so famously, the Roland Joffe wanted to make a film that was not a children's film. Obviously, this was a property that uh, you know appealed to children, but he wanted to make a film that was a little bit different and he basically brought in people to i think work on his <laughs> on on his uh on his vision he describes the super mario brothers game as a food chain game it tells us we're all just somebody else's dinner and he was determined not to do a simple kids fantasy one of the things i said to uh, i think it was, this was the head of nintendo of america was look we're not going to do a sweet little lovey-dovey sort of story. It's got to have an edge to it. So even in his, in his original pitch, he was already thinking about doing a movie that was a bit darker. And mm -hmm. he brought in a couple people to, well, initially, <laughs> and you can actually find a lot of the scripts online, but famously he brought in Barry Morrow to begin with, who had been the co-writer of Rain Man. And apparently the script that he turned in was so similar to that, that people dubbed it drain man, which I think is hilarious. Mm -hmm. Can't find that script online, unfortunately, but uh, he also brought in the directors, Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jenkel, who we'll get into later, but they mm -hmm. basically had a background. They had done one other feature film, but they had a background in music videos and other like TV stuff. And they were most famous for creating Max Headroom. 
which if you know, if you, you know, if you were around in yeah. the 80s, I, this is actually a little bit before my time, but I think everyone still knows who Max Headroom is and famously played by Matt Freer, star of 1994's The Stand, because I have to mention that every time I can. We'll kind of fast forward because I think that we'll probably get into some more of this background when we actually talk about the making of the movie, or we're, we're, we're talking about the actual movie, we'll talk about its making and some of the stuff that kind of went wrong and why we ended up with the film that we did. In terms of, you know, we talked about development. I know you want to go into that more in a separate podcast. But just so people get an idea, how many different scripts aside from the Drain Man script uh, were there that that we know of, at least? Oh, my God. Uh, I think there were. Hold on. Let me count. I think it was like four, maybe three or four complete ones. Weren't there like eight treatments, though? There were like eight different. Uh, well, well, there were, there were a couple of treatments. There are a few that you can find that are like outlines. So if you're talking about like complete scripts, I think there were maybe like four that you can find online plus the, the moral one. But uh, as we will talk about, the scripts are irrelevant because when they got to actually making the film, they were basically rewriting it as they were shooting it. So, but yeah, there, there were a couple of, there were a couple of iterations. It started basically as. Did, did, wasn't the guy who wrote the Flintstones and Richie Rich, um, the, the folks who did those screenplays were brought in. Well, yeah, that was one of the things when I was watching, I thought about, you know, it's kind of like a 48 hour film fest where you've all got a plot. It's like, okay, there's, there's Mario and his brother and you got to have a princess that they save. And, you know, let's write, you know, a hundred different scripts on that. Uh, Yeah, actually, I, sorry. I think you're, I think you're, you're right. Uh, I I think that the number of, well, the the number of drafts that they have, uh, I think that you can find on the archive is like six or seven. Now, some of those are just drafts of like draft one, two, three of a specific version. Um, the, okay. the original people were uh, Jim uh, Genwine, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, and Thomas Parker. And they had written a script that was kind of more of a fantasy. It was a, like more of a fairy tale. They, I think they described it as like a Wizard of Oz type thing. And then the, the Parker Bennett and Terry Runty were the ones who came in and kind of pitched a darker version to the directors. Now, it's kind of interesting because they use some of those elements from that script, but then uh, Dick Clement and Ian LaFrenet, I'm probably pronouncing that name wrong as well because I'm terrible. They were the ones who actually came in. And I think that the those, those were the, the the people that the directors really liked. And we'll get into that a little bit later because- yeah, they were most famous for the movie, The Commitments, which is a great movie. And in no way, shape, or form makes me think these are the guys to write a video game, uh, you know, movie. But <laughs> except that it's a good movie, and I get, you know, I guess the, if you can write a good movie, I don't know. Boy, it just it just feels like they were just throwing this out there. When we get to the talking about the directors, it's it's like you got to be kidding me. Some of the folks they approached, and yeah, uh, it's kind of funny because like. The the directors obviously had a script that they wanted to go with, and we'll, we'll, we can kind of get into it as we're talking about it because there mm-hmm. are there are certain points in the film that kind of interestingly enough can kind of came from them. There are points that came from earlier drafts. I actually haven't read all the drafts yet, um, so <laughs> and it, it's it's there there are so many of them that you know it's it's kind of hard to even like pin down some of this where some of the stuff came from. But yeah, there there are some interesting interviews I read, and it's. Uh, I don't want to pass judgment, but man, reading some interviews with the directors, I think, or one of the directors, I think I understand why they were mm-hmm. so disliked. I pretty much agree with what, you know, you guys have mentioned so far. And, you know, like you said, if we'll get into it as we go, but 
yeah, it was there really was a lot going on with the whole production and just madness. Yeah, and, and yeah, one last note on the on the screenwriters. I will mention that the out of all the people who actually worked on this, the actual like uh, the the credits for these for the the script are actually Parker Bennett and Terry Runty. So they, they were the ones who actually got credited on the film. Now there is one other writer who is Ed Solomon, and we'll kind of get into this as well. But basically, the the Parker Bennett Terry Runty script that they started shooting with was, I think, the script that the directors wanted to use. And then basically, Ed Solomon was brought in at the very last minute, like right before they started shoot, shooting, rewrote a bunch of stuff, and they were basically forced to go with his script, or so they say. And so, yeah, T Parker Bennett and Terry Runty hadn't really written a whole lot, and I don't think they've really written anything since. Uh, in fact, Terry Runty died uh, a year after this movie came out. Huh? At, he was only 34, so it's kind of sad. Um, it's fine. I'll edit it out. Yeah. <laughs> it was I'll just like, well, sure enough, won't write again. I'll, I'll actually put the laugh in after I, <laughs> I say that he's dead. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and, and Ed, Sol Ed Solomon had actually a lot more experience. He had a lot more like produced credits. Um, he had written the Bill and Ted movies and he would actually write the Men in Black movie that came out a couple of years after this. So I think okay, my impression... and those seem tonally like what you'd be going for with this yes, project. Yes, so he and that was like the first time they logic. That was the person I think that they brought in basically to lighten the film up, which was not what the directors wanted. And since they were forced to use his script, then right. they they kind of rebelled every single day that the movie was shooting against having to having to use this. They 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 were according to them at least, or I think according to. According to Rocky Morton, who, you know, one of the directors, he said that they were basically not allowed to talk to him at all. And, and he just delivered or someone just delivered a, a final version of his script that they were then told to use. And obviously they were very unhappy about that. I read something where they said they, they would have walked, but they were afraid that it would hurt their reputation. and They wouldn't work again. So of course. <laughs> In the movie, if you look at their IMDb credits, yeah. there's, there's a pretty long gap there after well, this came out. So. Yeah. Okay. So I, I do, I do want to get to talking about the movie. I will say though, this is, this is one of the things where I start to wonder because I, Annabelle Jenkel, I don't think she's at least that I could find. She doesn't do interviews about this movie, but mm -hmm. Rocky Morton actually has done multiple interviews in the last <laughs> like decade or decade and a half. And well, people react to trauma in different ways. You know? <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let, let's just say, he basically positions himself in retrospective as the him and Annabelle Jenkel as the saviors of this film. He basically said, uh, God, okay, I'll, I'll actually read a quote before, you know, we'll, cause I, I did pull a couple of quotes out. Yeah. Okay. And he actually, I don't know. He, he, he almost makes it sound like the other people, all the people who hated him, which was pretty much the entire cast and crew were actually rebelling against the script itself, which I don't think is true. But let me just read this one. Wait, this can, one. Can, I, can I just say, like, how can you position yourself as the savior of the film when the film died? That's like, that's well, like, you know, John Landis saying he's the savior of Vic Morrow. I, I don't think oh, that's the word you're looking oh, for. Oh, sweet mother. What? Too soon? Jesus, it's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, he's giving he's giving all these interviews, it, like contemporary interviews, because there are people who still love the movie. And I think he's trying to like talk to those people. 
and basically say for, for the people who love the movie. Yeah. I mean, obviously it failed and we'll get into all that, but I think he's basically talking to the people who actually remember the movie fondly, but gotcha. let me just read this real quick. Uh, I, I didn't write down. I think this was, well, yeah, me for, for one, um, the, the question that was posed oh, to him was, uh, was, uh, he says, was it, was it a really stressful set with people panicking, panicking all the time? And, uh, his answer was, yeah, because Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenaise's script was a script that Annabelle and I wanted to make. It was a different script, and the actors were all brought on board for that script, and then it was completely changed. I had to stand by with the new script, obviously, and tell them that it was a great script when I knew it wasn't. They were all saying, where's the original script? Where's the one we liked? And we'd have to tell them that it's all new, it's all new and different now. So everyone was angsty and uppity, and the whole thing was thrown into turmoil because of that one decision. So he he basically and there I got I had another quote too where he says um, maybe I, maybe I didn't copy that one down but ba yeah basically that all of these interviews he makes it sound like uh, like what you were talking about like them walking mm -hmm. they he makes it sound like they they were actually like I don't know the saviors and they were like oh well we're the ones who actually understand the story and we understand what's going on so we're going to stay on for the benefit of everyone else is ba basically just to summarize what, what he says or what I perceive him saying in a lot of these interviews. So yeah, well, kind I of funny. Go I mean, ahead. Part of what he said though, I think it has been borne out by like the, the cast, which was that apparently, you know, it was shot in Wilmington, North Carolina. And apparently a lot of them did sign on board with the, the, the mm -hmm. earlier script and they didn't find out till they got to Wilmington that oh it was completely different script so i mean i think there is there's at least you know nuggets in there of of truth now that doesn't mean he's you know the directors weren't shits and um <laughs> yeah you know, yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent i think i think i think that is true i think that like the the problem was compounded by instead of instead of rolling with the script they had though i think that their solution was that Rocky E. Morton and Annabelle Jenkel, it's, at least based on these interviews and stuff that I've read, it sounds like they were constantly trying to change stuff. And therefore, it got to the point where like no one would even read the script revisions because they were like, there's just going to be more. So we're not even right. going to read my I'm not even going to read my lines until like we're sitting there ready to shoot. Let's let's get into let's get into the actual movie. We'll talk more about this. We'll talk about some of this uh, when we start talking about the actors. I have a lot, a lot of quotes <laughs> from a lot of interviews, but yeah, let, let's talk about the actual film. And we start on kind of a prologue or a bit of a, uh, a bit of a narrative dump, which apparently was actually added to the film kind of after the, the test audience phase, because people, I guess, didn't quite understand the concept of the film, kind of the background, which is kind of funny because this is like actually reiterated two or three times throughout the film, but I guess it was still too high concept for people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the idea that a, the meteor that killed the dinosaurs actually fra fractured the dimensions and created two side dimensions, one, which is our world. And the other one, which is a world where the dinosaurs actually evolved into uh, sentient beings, which I got to say, uh, and again, Rocky Morton claims that this was all kind of his idea um, which, you know, whether or not that's true, I got to say. I wouldn't take credit for that idea if I were him. <laughs> well, yeah. I was going to say, okay, the big problem here is, you know, they were trying to adapt a film that had, or they were trying to adapt a game that had no story and no plot. I got to say, this is actually 
kind of a clever premise. I, I, I actually kind of think that it works. Yeah, I mean, I get that. But when they say, I don't think people understood the premise. It's like, maybe they didn't just realize it's oh. stupid. A, a meteor a meteor yeah. does not fracture the time-space continuum. It just squashes you things. You don't know yeah, that? It's not, know. The science is not settled on that, Bill. Okay, come I on. Guess. <laughs> but... <laughs> But so so yeah so we're and I will I will uh, point out that the the intro is is narrated by none other than Dan uh, Castellanata uh, of uh, the Simpsons fame who does like a billion voices on the Simpsons including Homer so then we're kind of just introduced to the premise uh, the the very simple backstory of you know someone came over someone had a baby that they gave up and then King Koopa you know kills this woman. And we see that the baby, or, or the the baby, is actually an egg that hatches into a baby. Baby, mm-hmm. and uh, hey, you know, uh, you know, foreshadowing. There's a a crystal on the egg, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is actually one of the few aspects. Like I said, I haven't read all the scripts, but I think that's actually one of the things that was kept from the very first drafts of the script. So I think oh, it's so super pro- weird. Oh, oh. okay. No, no. <laughs> Sorry, I think it's super weird. She was born in an, in an egg or from an egg, yeah. hatched from she- an egg. She's a dinosaur. Why would you? Oh, oh, spoilers. <laughs> she's a dinosaur. But is, but she's her dad is fungus. So no, no, no he, he was turned into a time. fungus. Yeah, he was turned into a fungus. Yeah. Who was he at the time? Don't you remember? He was he was the mushroom king. Well, he right. turned into a mushroom, mushroom, but he wasn't. Mushrooms and dinosaurs are. I mean, Bill, help me out here. It's I mean, a completely oh, different. You're on your own, dear. But. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, when you've tried to get into the logic of the of the the devolution gun, I, I, you just can't, and was, and you don't try to associate it with the actual established lore of the game. I and mean, you say there's no plot. There actually is like some established lore that it is the Mushroom King and a kingdom, and the uh, in the game the Goombas are actually mushroom people that have been turned evil and things. They just kind of throw all that lore out the window, and so this is more of inspired by the games not really tied into the actual lore so he could i guess in this case he actually was a a dinosaur and somehow i guess they devolved him so far back that it was before you know single cell organisms and then re-evolved him back up except up the up a different completely different kingdom into the the phylogenic tree into a mushroom and made him into a a weeds yeah okay so Meanwhile, well, I'm just thinking, so she's hatched from an egg. Does that mean that when it's time for her to reproduce, she will also lay an egg? And I'm like, oh, yeah. that's going to hurt. But then I'm thinking, well, actually, a- eggs are fairly aerodynamic. I mean, a whole lot baby than, <laughs> better than a baby. So well, if she was a dinosaur, yeah. she would actually probably have a cloaca and not have oh, the same, boy. you know, yeah, yeah, the same yeah. reproductive so, structures that we did, which means when she's growing up, people would be like, you know, like when she goes to mm-hmm. health class and stuff, There'd be oh, a lot yeah. of confusion. But then you get into the whole like, well, they've got hair, though. Wouldn't they be mammals? Well, then you could say there's convergent evolution where they develop hair like structures from the feathers. And they're like, yeah, but clearly she has mammary glands. It's like, well, I'm maybe. Again, I, 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 don't, I don't think this movie is that deep. You know. I just. <laughs> we've, we've already we've already analyzed the science behind this film more than anyone ever who worked on the actually making the film we come back to it yes it is very weird that she had an egg so i do want to i didn't want to like shit on what you said so yes i I do i I do i do like that though because it is it is a very simple like oh there's this egg and then it hatches into a kid and you kind of actually get the premise of the film from there like that kind of foreshadows 
which again, like they did, they explain it like four or five more times in the movie. But you know, yeah, it's it's exactly what you what you uh, described, Paul, uh, where the uh, dinosaurs evolve. No, god damn it, no. (laughs) Every time you say that, I think of uh, the the god. There was some bit that Robin Williams did, but anyways, um, but yeah, so. Moving on, yeah, which does definitely begs the question of, yeah, what kind of future uh, her and Luigi would have together. Well, you but, know, you no, know what? No, the thing is, I think we just proved that they really did need that that uh, <laughs> that introduction. <man. laughs> oh yeah, maybe, maybe they did. Yeah. The, the issue I actually had is the issue I actually had was like, well, if he came over and then like they weren't able to come over, but they came over because somebody blasted. And they brought this up later, and they're like, oh well, it's because it's like. Mr. Stereotypical Italian guy, a mobster, blew the hole through. But that wasn't until 20 years later. So the, how the hell did they get over? And then it no, collapsed no. again. And then what? The, I don't, you know, why? If it was connected all the time, we couldn't get him over. And I just, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, think I need it, to eat it, more cereal. It was, it yeah. was connected. It was connected. The, the actual portal was always there. It was just, it was like blocked. Because at the end, or at the end of the, um, the intro, when you see Koopa is like attacking uh her mom right and there's like a collapse and it like caves in and that was i think blocking anyone i don't know you know why didn't they just bring oh she, she actually smashes the thing down yeah why didn't they just bring dynamite or something over well, why didn't he come over earlier i mean that 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 early part takes place in the early 70s why didn't they come over in the you know th- you know se- several thousand years before that <laughs> We're trying to make sense of a movie where the actors were literally handed their lines right before the director said action. I need to know these things. I need to know these things. Oh, you're 100% correct. Hey, um, well, let's table that. I've got to use it for writing my fan fiction. Uh, that's true. Oh, that's true. you got to write the sequel script. Um, yeah. But hey, talking about introductions, though, I, I do want to get to the introduction of the two titular characters of this film, Mario Mario and Luigi Mario. And I gotta say, I gotta say, this uh, is gonna sound silly because this is a very silly mm-hmm. film and the script doesn't always work. And, you know, there are a lot of things that you can you can fault this film for. But I gotta say, this casting works and I actually love the dynamic between Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. Oh, they were born to play this film <laughs> to their eventual regret. But yeah, that's it's it's well cast, uh, sure. I buy it. I love I love the scenes. I love where they introduce them. I actually immediately buy kind of like the brotherly slash mm-hmm. like the brother slash the older brother slash like father mother figure. I totally buy it. And that's I think one of the reasons that people love this movie so much is because of these two. Now, I will say the 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 thing that gives me great admiration especially for Bob Hoskins is I, I did not realize until a few years ago how much he hated this movie. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He, he went, they, they asked him, what's your greatest regret in life? Now, here's a man who I'm pretty sure has been divorced, has, has gone through, you know, made some choices, lost a few years, like, like most actors, probably lost a few years of drugs and alcohol, yeah. and, you know, prostituted himself out in the street, as we all have. And this was his greatest regret. This was the yes. thing. That, you know, not, not, I wish I'd said, I, I love you to my dad before he died. No, no, no. This was his greatest regret. Wow. That's maybe we misread that though. Maybe his greatest regret with the, with the film was not appreciated in its time. 
No, his greatest regret <laughs> was having made this movie. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind something else. When, a, when an actor like him says, this movie was my greatest regret, he's saying, my greatest regret is something that I did that paid me more money than you will ever see if you take all your money together for every year and put it together. That's yeah. what I regret. Yeah. Boy, wow. The, the question I have is, it, you know, are are we in danger of this film being canceled since they basically whitewashed? Well, not really, because John Leguizamo is Latin, but uh, he's not Italian. Th these are Italian characters <laughs> not being played by Italians. You know, and very no. distinctly Italian. It's a, it's a, the Italians are like the one, is, the one that group that it's still okay to make fun of. So well, the Italians oh yeah. and the well, Irish. This is like, one thing like I thought was interesting. I would support if they want to cancel this. That would be great. <laughs> actually, I'm just kidding. One, one thing I thought was interesting. They're not even close to being brothers, but they actually had a point. Basically, um, when they're were they're at dinner and Daisy mentions being an orphan, uh, you know, Luigi says, "Oh, you're an orphan too." And they don't go into it very much, but he just says, oh, Mario raised me like it's and so heavily implied that he was an orphan that Mario raised so that they oh, are. So he could be anyone. No, no, he, no, he, he wasn't. Yeah. A, no, no, he was he wasn't an orphan. He said he was basically his the parents died when he was a kid. And oh, see, and, was, oh then then it sucks because they're not even close to being uh, uh, being rela related. <laughs> she's not really an orphan. She's you not know, really an orphan. She was abandoned. Right, right. What but was, what I'm saying is. I, I was taking it as, oh, no, he was basically like a foundling that no, 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 that, uh, that yeah. Mario was raising. No, but see, if you do that, then then maybe he's a dinosaur, too. <laughs> OK, and then uh, they can or someone without his pants. Maybe he's got a cloaca okay. as well. Perfect. Hey, you know who um, really was an Italian? Chico Marx. <laughs> God. OK, well, let me let me read. Let me actually read Chico because he's like, all good with all the chicks. Let me uh, let me true. read yeah. let me read the quote bill that you're you're referencing because this is <laughs> I, you you actually have to read it verbatim okay. to 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 get yeah. the full effect. Look, he was look, asked. Look, I saw this. I was hopped up on cereal. So he, yeah, he, he was asked three questions. He was asked, "What's the worst job you've done, Super Mario Brothers? What has been your biggest disappointment, Super Mario Brothers? If you could edit your past, what would you change?" I wouldn't do Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> he was there was a three a three part question. All three answers were Super Mario Brothers, <laughs> and they left off the second half of it, which was because the film wasn't appreciated in its time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. That, I'm sure the Guardian edited edited that out because right. they wanted. I'm, to, I'm yeah. sure. Oh, it's uh, time for more cereal, by the way. Uh, yeah. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, and I'll read from him uh, because there was another interview when someone asked him about this and he said, it was a fucking nightmare. The whole experience was a nightmare. It had a husband and wife team directing whose arrogance had been mistaken for talent. After so many weeks, their own agent told them to get off the set. Fucking nightmare. Fucking idiots. But they direct quote. <laughs> and this was, yeah, this this would have been, uh, we will mention Bob Hoskins sadly died in 2014. But yeah, I think, I think some people, I think right like before he died was right when this film was kind of old enough to start being a bit of a, a cult classic and people started asking him about it. So, and that's, oh, that, which, I mean, that would be awful, you know, cause I love him and I can, you know, imagine seeing him at a convention and if someone brought up this movie, I can just sort of imagine you see the thing <laughs> beginning to throb on his head. And uh, he just looks like, he looks like a guy who could really hurt things. And oh, yeah. but he was, he was perfect for the only other actor that you can imagine playing this role is Danny DeVito, who was apparently approached to not just, play mario but to direct yeah. the movie on the basis of cocaine i can't think of any reason why i would have any devito to direct this movie i, I don't yeah. know he had ever directed a movie up at that time i think he's directed some since 
But oh um, uh, wait, didn't didn't he direct uh, Throw Mama from the Train? And he, he I'm he, sure he, I, he did yes. Matilda. Oh, oh that he is did, true. Well, he's good. He's also smart, so he turned him down. I'm going to have to disagree with you. What? Uh, there, there is another actor. Okay. Uh, the once in future Mario, the first Mario. The, oh, I think oh the one that, that it's 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 a shame that he wasn't chosen for this. And yes, that's Ron Jeremy. No, no, close. <laughs> Captain Lou Albano. Thank oh, you very much. Well, yeah, and, and a man who was baptized in the Vatican. So you oh, can't get yeah. much more Mario than that. I will not dispute the genius of Captain Lou Albano. But, yeah. Um, the yeah. Super Mario Brothers Super Show? Come on. Yeah. I, so so I will say, I just looked it up. DeVito had directed three movies before this came out, including oh, okay. Hoffa with Jack Nicholson, uh, The War of the Roses, and yeah, Throw Mama from the Train oh, was his well, first. I, I take it all back then. Uh, then I didn't realize he'd done Hoffa. Well, yeah, yeah the parallels between this and Hoffard. This and Hoffard, oh, absolutely amazing. Because uh, this, this movie feels like it should have been like buried somewhere far. <laughs> buried under <laughs> under a cement slab. He, yeah. he also directed he also directed an episode of Amazing Stories and uh, a couple couple episodes of Taxi. So yeah, he had he had been uh, he'd been doing some work. So yeah, I, and I think this actually gets to another one of the reasons that I, again, it sounds like maybe the directors were a little bit vindictive and. Rocky Mm. Morton mentions repeatedly in pretty much every interview that he did about this movie after the fact that he didn't, he wanted DeVito. DeVito was his choice because, and then every time I asked him, well, how did Bob Hoskins get involved? And he's like, I don't know his agent. He was available. He was available. Yeah. I think that's what he said. And, and he obviously did not want Bob Hoskins and he's still bitter about that. Now, all, all of this gets back to my original point. If I had never read any of this, if I didn't know the background of this film, based on Bob Hoskins' performance, I, I would have had no clue. No clue. Because I think he actually, he gives it his all. Like, I actually really like yeah, Bob Hoskins. He, he doesn't, I mean, okay, you see Bruce Willis in a movie that he doesn't like, he, he, you, he, yeah. can tell. <laughs> he just exudes contempt. Like, yes. you know, has the check cleared yet? You know, just, just he, he just doesn't want to be there. Um, but yeah, he looks like he's having fun. And, and that's what I mean. This this that gave me almost a new appreciation for him because, yeah, I like I never would I never would have guessed I never would have guessed he he's he's so good in this movie and he he never he actually does seem like he's trying he's never phoning it in. Um, well, I also mentioned like I mean for context like he had just been in a couple of big kind of you know family kind of type films he had been in Who Framed Roger Rabbit Rabbit and Hook. But yeah, he's also, I will say, uh, when you're talking about him being kind of scary, uh, if you've ever seen Unleashed, he plays the villain in Unleashed, and he is really, really terrifying in that movie. Really? Yeah. Unleashed, Unleashed. Is, a, is a movie, a Jet Li movie. It's, it, but he plays like, oh. he, be, he, play, he plays this mob boss who basically has Jet Li as a slave, and he has him there to go collect money, and he sicks him on people like a dog when they they don't pay him but he's like a he's just a monster and yeah it's 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 really good so yeah bob hoskins love bob hoskins love john logazamo also i love the fact that when you watch interviews between the two with the two of them like the behind the scenes stuff john logazamo it sounds like luigi he basically i mean he's from like queens Mm -hmm. he grew up in queens he has the exact same accent and then Bob Hoskins has a very strong Cockney accent. <laughs> it's always hilarious. I just kind of want to echo one thought you'd said about about 
uh, Bob Hoskins giving it his all. I think that really extends to a lot of the cast. I mean, oh, I all the cast. I wouldn't put the the problems with this movie necessarily on the cast. I think they. Oh no. They they oh, they, no. they. I mean, if their character's supposed to be, you know, very flamboyant and mugging a lot, they they give it their all. I think I think most of them really seem to to um to really to really go for it. I mean, I I there I know there's uh, some stories in terms of the way uh, John Leguizamo would prep for the day um i think you and renee probably did more research on that can probably speak to that but oh uh, go for it what what do you what do you got uh well renee weren't weren't you you had read this about uh what john like was do to when he was getting ready for the set right that he was he got well they i think he said that he was somebody had inferred that he was getting drunk um (laughs) before and i thought well he might have been getting something but i don't think it was drunk yeah um yeah Still a little acting, a little acting. I uh, honestly acting don't remember inferring that. Was it the director? Because <laughs> I don't believe any. After reading all the things uh, the director said, I don't believe shit I that he think, said. But. I believe I believe I've read interviews with him where he talked about drinking a lot. And see, that's I mean, and that's the mark of a professional. Mm-hmm. Okay, that <laughs> drinking a lot on set. Yeah, drinking a lot on set. But when it's time for their lines, they get it out there. It's not you know, and. and you know, sometimes you misjudge and you end up like Orson Welles doing, uh, you know, a commercial <laughs> for wine, totally sloshed already. You know, you misjudge these things. You didn't get enough sleep. But, yeah, you know, they 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 know their lines, which is amazing since nobody knew their lines. There were no lines to know until they handed yeah. it to them. And, but they, they they put it out there. Yeah, they were professionals. They, they, they did all right. They did what they were supposed to do. And you don't get the sense from watching them that, they can't wait for this to be over and that they're aware that they're part of a train wreck. <laughs> yeah. I get the feeling John Logazama was having a ball, actually, it seemed. Oh, yeah. Well, where was this in his career? Where was this what? in his career in terms of, like, how, what had he done before this? Because I know, I know that he turned down a role in Philadelphia to make this movie. Oh, boy. Right choice. Right choice. No, yeah. no one that movie. And I'm sure, you know. <laughs> it's a hidden gem, you know. Oh, God. um no yeah so so for so for context he had done he had done a couple of movies uh i mean he had he had been doing i i think this may have been his biggest role to date but i'm not sure because i haven't seen a lot of the movies he did before this he was you know he had bit parts he had a bit part in uh in die hard 2 he had a bit part in in a couple of other movies like i'm actually looking at his his uh his imdb right now and some of his previous roles uh before this movie include liquor store gunman in regarding yeah, Henry and boy in alley for, in out for justice so that kind of gives you an idea of yeah uh, yeah you kinda... just look at the names of the characters yeah. you know angel ortiz chanchi <laughs> yeah he was oh, yeah, I talk hey. about typecasting liquor store gunman actually has a key role in regarding henry he's the one who shoots who shoots Harrison Ford, oh, giving him brain damage yeah. that leads to the whole story. So, you know, he's there a key no. role Pivotal. in that film. Oh, Pivotal. yeah, and one that I'm sure his community was proud of. I like uh, his role. Mm. This is an actual character, Guess My Nationality Guy. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> had, had, he done, had he done House of Buggin' at this point? Uh, no, I think this that was after this. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he, he did. I mean, he had, I mean, God, John Linguizamo has had, like, such a career he's he's done a lot he's done a lot of like good serious roles he's done a lot i mean obviously he's done like one man shows he's done comedy i mean he he's had such a huge huge career so obviously this film in no way uh damaged his prospects which is good because i mean he he was uh pretty young when this movie came out i think he was uh 
God, I think he was. Well, no, I, I take that back. He was. He was. He was in his late twenties. But yeah, his his career was that getting started. Ruined his, and then he never would have been able to play the clown in Spawn. <laughs> oh, very player. true. That's that's when things really took out off for him. To be honest, yeah. Um, oh man, he's probably uh, the only person that talks positively about the experience too. He 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 seems very positive about it. In fact, he was so gracious that he actually recorded i think it was like the 25th anniversary or something yes he actually recorded a a message for that uh super mario brothers archive t- uh website that i mentioned like he, he recorded a message for him like uh, he's, he's, yeah, he's he seems very, like very, a really great guy yeah, i'm right there with him listen if i were on that set if they made the horrible mistake of casting me in a movie like this man i'd be having fun there's there's a great actor there he's probably got awesome stories i'm sure bob hoskins you get a couple drinks in him and ask him about you know <laughs> Oliver Reed or something, man. Just sit back and listen. Uh, there's there's special effects guys doing dinosaur suits. I mean, this sounds like this would be the greatest 17 weeks of my life. Yeah, the movie's going to be a piece of crap, but you know, I had fun making it. Yeah, that's true for a lot of the movies I have worked on. So there you go. And, and that's yeah, and that's probably true. That also, like, he was early in his career, whereas Bob Hoskins. There's even an interview where you can kind of pick up on the subtext where Bob Hoskins is like, yeah, you know. Normally, I'm like in pl- in tights playing Shakespeare, and now I'm playing a guy who jumps around on a video game screen. And he, yeah. <laughs> he, it sounded like you know, he half joking, half like, "What the fuck have I gotten myself into?" It, you so. start getting did that. They not know what they were getting themselves in for. I mean, yeah, I understand yeah, that they, they had a script that they liked. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> they know. had a script <laughs> that they threw out. Like, and then that next script, thing, I'd love but, to see but, that script. It must have been really different. We've talked they, about they, that I mean, before. They talk about you know, it like they weren't getting paid. You know, it's like, oh, oh this just sucks. I, I wish I could go home. It's like, are you paying me? But you know what? You tell all your friends, oh, man, I'm making this really cool horror movie called Beneath the Darkness. And then all of a sudden it comes out. It's called Humanoids from the Deep and it's Rapey Fishman. <laughs> no, I'm never That's letting like it go. But, by the way, Bill, yeah. my, my mom wanted to say thank you for recommending that. She loved it. I did not recommend it, but uh, but you I'm did. glad your mom liked it. Yeah, it was on her recommendations. Uh, oh, it literally, was, it literally it. was one of the movies I recommended. I take it back. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad she liked it. Um, can, can I can I also mention another thing? And we'll, we'll, we'll get over to some of the other cast members in a moment. But I actually want to mention... The direction, I think the direction is very weak, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Mm. I actually think that the direction is the weakest part of this film, but there are a lot of very strong, like, behind-the-scenes technical people, and I'm going to call out two of them. The cinematographer on this was Dean Semler. Apparently, they actually, they had a cinematographer that they fired after, like, the first week, but Dean Semler was brought in. I I actually wonder if this is because he had... uh, 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 Eberts, the the producer, had produced Dances with Wolves, which Dean Semler had actually, I believe, won an Academy Award for shooting that one. And of course, he also shot uh, films that we've talked about in the past because he shot The Road Warrior and Mad Max mm. Beyond Thunderdome. So, but uh, D- Dean Semler, I actually think this is a pretty well shot film, and we'll kind oh, of yeah. talk about, especially when we get to the Dino Dino Hatton segments. I also think this is actually a pretty well edited movie. I think it clips ar- along pretty well for a script that was being rewritten day-to-day right. and no one knew what was going on so i'll mention uh editor mark goldblatt who had previously edited piranha terminator okay. 2 true lies armageddon starship troopers the howling halloween 2 nightbreed rise of the planet of the apes and most importantly humanoids from the deep oh there you go <laughs> i mean Listen, I, I if he was, when it comes, if he was to, the editing, when it comes no. to the editing i think it's a little hard to judge because to be honest i mean 
a lot of the film is is hard to parse what's going on is a little nonsensical but that could that not might be because it wasn't shot the coverage wasn't there and the script wasn't there so and and then you can't really blame the editor you know otherwise because a lot of times you'd say oh well boy the editor fucked this up because this doesn't make sense the way it flows but uh, again from what we know it might just be that that it just he did what he could with what he had if a movie that doesn't have a finished script is shot and it makes any coherent sense whatsoever you got to give the editor some yes. credit because that's yeah. just not the way to make a movie but that's how oh, this yeah. movie was made and, and that's my that's my suspicion is a lot of what was actually salvaged for this movie was because they brought in an editor who obviously had mm-hmm. some some chops i mean god if you work on humanoids from the deep uh, often <laughs> believed to be one of the best edited films of all time uh, you know, you, you you know that they're going to be able to do something with it. So yeah, that that's actually why I think I'm I'm so impressed with this because the fact that it makes any sense at all, is, based on all the stories from the set, is actually pretty impressive. It's it, it is difficult to know who's responsible for what when things go wrong or when they go right because he also edited one of my favorites trash movies, Armageddon, which yeah. is often singled out as being atrociously edited. Because you can't tell what's going on with the action sometimes. Oh, well, but I'm pretty sure that he was handed a freaking mess. <laughs> that, that, yes. You know, Michael Bay's got his camera moving for no damn good reason. You've got to put it all together, and it's 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 nightmarish. And, and he just went with it and did the best he could. And I think you know it works just fine. I don't I don't think anyone could have done a better job editing that movie than it was edited. But yeah, you get the blame when you know they ah oh, the editor. The, the camera, yeah, the way the camera is moving, it's like the editor has nothing to do with the camera moving at all. And, and what can they do? Like they needed more close-ups. Maybe he wasn't given any close-ups. He did yeah. the best with what he had. Yeah, which I, I from what we've heard, I, I believe that's probably the case. The coverage yeah. just wasn't there. I mean, I can't believe this guy was so good in all the, you know, he did Terminator 2 and Nightbreed and all, all these things. And then he sucked for a while. And then all of a sudden, after that movie was over, he goes back to being a great editor again and, and Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. No, he's always been good all the time. Uh, yeah. I, I do want to talk about another uh, person behind the scenes, technical wise. The the um, production the production designer yeah. was uh, David L. Snyder, who did... Uh, Blade Runner, which when we get to Dino Hatton, mm. it's yeah, it's kind of cool. Pee Wee's Big Adventure, other things like that. So, oh, I mean, that's yeah. a great one, yeah, yeah. So, he was the uh, art director on that, uh, yeah, he was production artist on that, art director on Blade Runner. So, yeah, so I mean, uh, there are people there with skills. So, the thing is, it you know, it takes it takes a certain special talent from somebody to fuck that whole movie up. <laughs> Well, not only not only was he the art director for Blade Runner, he was hired for this movie because of his work on Blade Runner specifically. They wanted oh, wow. that that was their vision was in the in their their plan to do something that's a that's a little more darker and adult. That was actually one of the movies that they were looking at as what they wanted to replicate. So that explains Koopa's whole uh, tears in the rain speech at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. It sounds almost like they blew their budget on the people that could save the film before they made it. Huh. Right? It's mm-hmm. like let's hire the best editor and the best art director and to make up for the we'll fact just... that they didn't have a script. Right. Yeah. The the producer hired all the right people except for unfortunately the right directors. So, I I think mm-hmm. honestly there's so much talent Which... behind this movie. Also it's... remember I also mentioned David L. Snyder, production designer on uh, Strange Brew. So, Probably the but most important in, in his career. 
Zach, you've you've done so much research into this and everything, which is really great. But has anyone ever explained why? Because I feel I feel that these, these folks clearly were not up to the task, but no one should have expected them to be. Thank why you. Would, did they? Why did they put this is such a risky project, a, a new project, uh, tremendous money and everything, and and a trouble thing? Why would you give it to people who? haven't proven themselves. I think most directors, even good directors, well, would have failed on this. Why do yeah. you to me, people who... Uh, they, had, they, had, they, had, they had done one feature before this. I think a big part of it was... DOA. Nobody DOA, saw. yeah. But because of their, because of their background... They should have called this it, movie DOA. <laughs> <it was>. uh, <laughs> I think of it like if it, you let a toddler drive a car and the toddler crashes the car, I'm not mad at, at the toddler. toddler. Toddlers yeah. don't know how to drive oh. cars. I'm mad at whoever put the toddler in the driver's seat and told it to drive I, the fucking I mean, car. I, I'm <laughs> really wondering if, if the it was Max Headroom. <laughs> It was bad. because that, that was 100. Yeah. That was 100%. Yeah, because I mean that that had that kind of futurist. If they were going to go with a a Blade Runner esque futuristic yeah. Dino Hat and whatever the hell they're going to do with it, and then they look at at Max Headroom, which is all about that. What was it? Ten minutes into the future, was that the yeah. the subtitle? Have on you, it? Have you seen that recently? Yeah. Have you watched that no, recently? Not recently? I no. would not consider that a an incredibly well directed movie. What it was was something was different. It was, yes, I, yeah, but I mean the, the 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 pilot and the show itself actually. Although maybe I'm watching bad copies of it, you know. But it was different, and it kind of caught the zeitgeist, and people were excited about it. And that's the problem with Hollywood: if you have a success that really doesn't have anything to do with your direction, people are just like, "Well, this is really cool—a computer-generated character," which is the the lie, the conceit that they had that this was completely <laughs> yeah. And everyone got excited about it, but they weren't excited because these people had directed a fantastic film or shown, you know, some real directing chops here. They they had a cool idea and they they did an adequate job. They should not be given the reins of a 50 million dollar movie. Yeah. Based on that. Now, Hollywood when Hollywood sees a success, their reaction is always, "Aha, finally someone has figured out what the audience wants." And and, and then they all do it. They do the same thing. They make 100 movies that are just like that and they wonder why it failed. It's like there is no one Thing that the audience wants there's this you know it comes and goes westerns were hot now they're not maybe they will be again it just ebbs and flows but when someone is successful they just throw money at them because they think that they are touched by god and that they have the the secret the midas touch and they didn't yeah and and i can't i i don't have any quotes written down that like directly references exactly why Jaffe wanted them but i think that he had talked about wanting to do you know he talked about wanting to do something darker and edgier and I think it was it was Max Headroom and it was the fact that they mm. actually pitched a, an idea that was kind of on the level of what he wanted to do, um, because I actually have a quote uh, fr from Morton that I think this is actually contemporary when the movie was made. He is actually talking about why, like the movie he wanted to make versus the movie that the studio wanted to make, not necessarily Jaffe, but we'll talk a little bit more about the the studio that, that kind of came in and, and wanted to tweak the script. Uh, and it said, he, like Joffe, he thought Super Mario Brothers could be dark and edgy. That's where the conflict happened, the co-director says. I knew Super Mario Brothers looked visually like a kid's video game, but I also knew it was played by people of all ages, including adults. So my guess is that he 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 they probably brought them in or talked to them because of Max Headroom, and he kind of, they, they sold him on a vision that was exactly what Joffe wanted to make. Is my suspicion back to the, the the idea of it being 
a dark and edgy film for adults and not kids. Think about the early 90s. Think about what parents would have been like when a Super Mario movie came out mm-hmm. and it turned out it was dark and edgy. They'd be pissed off. It was like when they did the uh, the live action Scooby Doo. Originally, that was supposed to be you know adult, more adult oriented with adult jokes and you know Shaggy being a stoner and all this stuff. And then when when parents found out about it, they got all pissy and they're like, oh, because which I mean, be honest, you know, yeah. Scooby Doo was still super popular then. They were like, oh fuck, we need to re-edit this and make it a kids film. So. If they did go with their original direction, it probably would have been a better film, but it yeah. also would have, I don't know if it would have done as well in the book. No, you know, no, I, because, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, I don't know any scenario where a, a couple of young, sophisticated urban dwellers, you know, white collar workers going out on a date, thinking about what movie to go see. It's like, I know, that's Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to happen. Uh, it it could be, be a great movie. It could be a great movie, but no one's going to see it. It, it, the, it, it its audience is is doomed because they would have to have every critic in the country come on. Roger Ebert would have to like be looking wide eyed and he hasn't slept all night because oh my god, this movie! I, I, I went in with low <laughs> expectations. It's a masterpiece, you know. Screw Citizen Kane. This is this is the you you just can't believe it. And people are like, oh my god, wow, Roger Ebert, he must. You know that which was never going to happen. So this this thing would always be a kids movie. It's just you know that nowadays you maybe you can make something like this and you know because we're all children now we all want want to go out and watch superhero movies and everything. And and, but at the time, no, this was doomed, 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 doomed. Yeah, I I will say, I mean, to not not even to their credit, but I think the mindset was if you think of think of the 1960s batman which was what a lot of people who didn't read comics were probably had in mind in the late 80s early 90s when they thought of batman and then think of the 1989 batman where tim burton did a complete 180 on that and turned it into a very dark brooding movie and it made money hand over fist i think that was actually very in fact in a lot of these interviews the directors and I think Jaffe himself actually mentioned Batman specifically multiple times. I think that is actually maybe what they had in mind. Now we think of Batman as like an adult kind of more brooding character, but you know, at the time it was definitely kind of similar to Mario where it's like, Oh yeah, it's bright and lively and it's a kid's thing. That is a great point. And it it shows where they made their mistake. Because the difference is the difference is Batman has been around for so long that even these grownups that I'm talking about, grew up with Batman. There's some nostalgia and affection for this character. And whether they admit it or not, they really would like to see a cool Batman movie. But Super Mario Brothers was popular with kids. Their parents had never played the game. It was just something that kept their kids busy. And they thank God for that. But it wasn't anything that they had tremendous amount of nostalgia or affection for. So right. the, the, the people who want to see this kind of movie is very front-loaded on the kid's side. Is just not that Batman nostalgia love for that the rest of us have. But it's a good yeah. point. I can see where they might have thought, oh yeah, it'll be just like Batman. It's like, yeah, no, no, well, yeah. there's well, no history here. To your point, Bill, I could actually see them doing that film today. I think yes. you could do a, so a dark and brooding Mario film with as as long as it was a bit more tongue-in-cheek, but still kind of dark and brooding Mario film today. And it would probably do well because, again, you you do have that nostalgia factor yes, now. But I yeah, think 30 right. years ago, nope. You know, yep. so yeah, good point, Bill. I like that. Well, thank yeah. you. Well, 
Let, let's talk about. <laughs> let's talk about uh, a couple I might other need more cereal. Oh yeah, go get some more cereal. Let's talk about uh, a couple other pivotal characters here before we've, we've covered about five minutes of the movie. And I, I think we can we can kind of breeze through this first act here because things don't really get interesting until we get to Dino Hatton. But a couple other characters I want to mention that we're introduced to here. Firstly, uh, Samantha Mathis as Daisy. Not given a whole lot to do, but I actually do love her in this movie. I think she's a great actress. I think she does, you know, she she does what she can with what she's given as I mean, you know, it's, this is like the most the, the cliche of the princess getting kidnapped and the princess is in the, another castle. But um, yeah, I, I, I like her in this movie. I, I will mention she also she also co-starred in 2004's The Punisher with former classmate of Paul Cardillo, Thomas Jane. There you go. Yeah. Well, I had to keep reminding myself that she was the princess in this movie. You know, I mean, like I said, I'm I was coming from the video games and, you know, Daisy is a princess in your normal princess garb and. I mean, I caught myself three times. I was like, oh, yeah, she's the princess. She's the princess. They're trying to save the princess. But, you know, the princess is like a, I don't know, whatever she is, an archaeologist or something. Yeah, which yeah. I kind of like. Well, again, I think that the film doesn't, the film ignores a lot of established lore. It's just more, it's more inspired by it. Though, though, canonically, Luigi is, is, is paired with Daisy, canonically. So at least... They went with Daisy and they didn't have it be Princess Peach that he hooks up with because uh, then it's like, wait, wait, then you're really just disturbing to establish canon. So canonically. Should yeah. there have been a giant gorilla throwing barrels at them at some point? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, I, th- I do yeah, like I the fact waiting for a big gorilla to come save everybody. Yeah. Oh, even though that. even though she is kidnapped and that's just like, you know, the part of the the plot, like I, I do appreciate the fact that they did they did make her into like this archaeologist, she's kind of dressed in her like field gear for a lot of the movie. So I kind of like that they at least made the character a little less of a like princess in distress here, even if she does end up being a princess in distress. <laughs> I also do love the fact that the I think this is again, this is where the I, I, I love the dynamic here. I love the scene where she's talking, Luigi's talking to her and like you know bob uh mario is kind of trying to like help him along there is again that's that that's that great kind of like brotherly uh dynamic there that mm-hmm. i think i think really works and then i also want to talk about two of my favorite uh okay, <laughs> two, two of my favorite uh secondary characters in this film and i am of course talking about spike played by richard edson and iggy played by academy award winner fisher stevens what do we think about these two? Uh, no, I, I actually, I, I agree with you. I kind of, I like their performances are, are you know, I, I would not call them subtle, <laughs> but they're not supposed to be. I think they give it them, they're all, they're, they make a fun, fun kind of team. Um, they have that, that weird sort of uh, falsely elevated speech a lot of times where they think that they're smarter than they really are. Yeah. And Especially they, after they're, they're evolved. Yes. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That, thank <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. Again, I, I fell asleep halfway through last night and was watching it again. <laughs> no so, worries. You know. Um. So that's correct. That's after they get involved, they get the 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 uh, false element speech. But they uh, they also have like the little ticks of I guess it's supposed to be sort of reptilian where they're kind of moving their heads jerkily and yeah. Um. And they 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 do the sh- the slapstick shtick, which is what they're supposed to do. Um. And and I have to say, when we were watching it, I was like, when it got to the end of the film, I was like. 
damn it, where did they, you know, they, they just dropped the ball. Where did the characters go? And then the stinger happened. I was like, oh my God, the <laughs> filming films were brilliant than I expected. I know we're jumping ahead here, but is this one of the first post-credit scenes that have now become such a cliche that if we don't have one, we feel like we need it. We well, should get our money back. They're, they're less po- they were less popular then, but I think they've yeah. been around for a while. Interestingly enough, Richard Edson had a, he, he, he didn't have a lot of starring roles, but he did appear in a lot of great movies. He had appeared in do the right thing, stranger than paradise, strange days. And most importantly, Ferris Bueller's day off, which <laughs> is one of the earlier famous post-credit scenes. So yeah. loves, or, uh, uh, Paul loves that movie. Yeah, he loves it. One of Paul's uh, favorites, uh, in my understanding. The, the movie I do love, at least according to Wikipedia, was the first example of a post-credit sequence, and that is The Silencers in 1966, which was a, a uh, Dean Martin, Matt Helm film. Oh, Matt have... Helm movie? Wow. Yes. Yeah. But, boy, those have really aged well. <laughs> but they're, they're so terrible but uh, oh yeah i know i know they're great. i i like iggy and spike they're, they're like in, yeah. in comedies my probably one of my favorite stock characters in comedies are the morons who don't think they're morons who <laughs> yes. actually think that they're you know two steps ahead of everyone else and uh, yeah that's just that's just inherently funny especially if you teach high school is that why you like me so much Phil? <laughs> yeah <laughs> I've been a fan of Fisher Stevens for a long time. I his his first movie is The Burning, which is great. And I actually wasn't oh. kidding. He he's actually he's gone into producing and directing and he is he won an Oscar. He actually produced, I don't know if you guys remember the uh the movie it was a 2010 Oscar for The Cove. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. It's about oh, uh the the one about the whales? Uh yeah, or I think the whales or I think it's about dolphins. But yeah, he oh, he produced that. that and won an Oscar. Um, also very interesting, and I don't know if it's because of this movie or not, but he also directed in 2014 a stand-up show called Ghetto Clown, starring one John Leguizamo. Oh. So I like to think they got together after 20 years and they were making that movie and they were just like trading stories about and reminiscing about Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. So the interesting thing about these two there's a great interview with Richard Edson on the Super Mario Brothers archive where it sounds like these two, given the fact that everything was so chaotic and the, the script just kept getting rewritten, it sounds like they actually kind of fell through the cracks and they were actually, they mm. started pitching the directors. They were like, hey, could we rewrite some of our scenes? And because that was probably the last thing that anyone was thinking about, yeah, the directors actually let them go and rewrite a lot of their lines. So a lot of the shtick you're talking about, a lot of the, like the, the really good dynamic, apparently that was just them like coming up with their own material, which I think is great. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. And it, I always thought there was a cool dynamic because it's like, they yeah. almost talk, they do that thing where there's like the back and forth and it's like one will talk and then the other will talk and the other will talk. Apparently that was intentional. Edson said when they were rewriting all their lines, they were like, okay, let's split it like 50, 50. So we basically both have the, the, the same amount of material. Yeah, they had great chemistry. Yeah, I, I also like these are characters that in any other film would probably be, be super annoying, but they're so lovable that I think yeah. a lot of their stuff's actually really funny. So, yeah, love them. And we'll talk a little bit more about them later because, yeah, they have some some fun and uh, stupid material with the uh, the evolution stuff. Let's you know, let's fast forward. There's there's a lot of setup here, but it's all you know, it's all pretty stock. I mean, we find out that Daisy is a an archaeologist and she's working on this dig in Manhattan and she goes down and, you know, they, 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 everything kind of comes together 
and you find out that Iggy and Spike have been stalking her because apparently they've been kidnapping women because they were trying to find Princess Daisy, which we find out later they've made a lot of mistakes. But they eventually get her, and we're kind of introduced this to this idea of the fact that there is this rift where you can kind of cross over. And that's when Mario and Luigi make it into what is, I, don't, I can't remember if it's actually called this in the actual movie, but it is called, it is referred to uh, Dino Hatton. Yeah. Anyone? Anyone want to? <laughs> sorry, I know I'm talking a lot. Does anyone want to take Dino over here? Hatton? Dino like, Hatton, like Manhattan. Oh, Dino. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you see, threw me Manhattan. off there. Yeah. Dino Hatton. <laughs> uh, does it? Did anyone? Does uh, Renee? Did you do any research about this? This? Uh, this location? Uh, not about the location. No, I did not. Okay. Oh, I've, I've read something about it. It was a. Okay. It was an. Abandoned cement factory outside of Wilmington, North Carolina. No was kidding. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and they were able to, that's why they were able to have such a grand scale to it. Huh. Yeah. So, so this was the, the ideal uh, cement factory. And this is actually one of the more interesting parts of the production. And I think one of the reasons that the, the film, this movie is just very unique. I mean, say what you will about a lot of it, but it is unique. And one of the things that they that they did that's very different, you know, a lot of other movies would just build sets and you'd have, you know, one part over here and then, you know, another part would be another set. They basically built this entire thing in this concrete factory. I think they said it was like five stories tall and they basically shot everything that they could possibly in here. David L. Snyder was basically talking about how like they they basically took their designs and then designed it around the actual location. And that's why it comes off as like a real place because it is, it is this massive structure that they built everything in, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, that really is. Huh. Uh, can I, can I just quote here? Um, is it Richard Edson? Was it? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Richard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he claims not to recall whether he ever saw the movie but feels he never escaped it. <laughs> when you're, here's the quote. When you're involved with such a big, such a big disaster, the stench of it sort of stays with everybody. <laughs> there was work I hoped for in Hollywood, but it never really happened for me after that. You have to be careful. If you're going to sell your soul, you'd better be getting more than just money out of it. <laughs> wow. The great quote. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because he actually gave a really long interview to this website and he did he actually seemed pretty forthcoming about a lot of stuff. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I do. I do feel bad for the people who, who were in this movie and then their careers didn't go anywhere. And they're like, is it because I did Super Mario? I'll never know. <laughs> yeah. And, and you think, well, how could people in Hollywood blame this person? But Hollywood can be pretty stupid. And they're like, that movie lost 20 million dollars. So we better not ever hire the guy who played Spike. Because I think yeah. that's the reason. Yeah, <laughs> he was the one who, who brought it down. I got a hunch he's the one who did not put the asses in the seats. So, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Well, I mean, this is not the kind of movie where somebody was going to win an Academy Award. You know, it's <laughs> like, oh, I just can't believe you were so bad in this movie. I'm not giving you anything else. I mean, it. The movie was. Yeah. I, I mean, just the whole premise of it. It's not like a. It's not. It wasn't going to be the movie of our time that was going to catapult anybody to stardom yeah. based on their based on their performance i mean right. i don't know it's you don't get blamed for making crap you get blamed for making crap that doesn't make any money yeah. exactly yeah that's it yeah, yeah. the nail on the head yeah 
uh so yeah dino Haddon is crazy you're you're introduced to this like uh this this insane setting i i love a lot of the cutaways i think this is where the movie really shines and i think this is one of the reasons that people really appreciate and remember this movie uh it's it's the designs of uh of snyder and it's also the work of uh costume the costume designer was joseph a poro who uh, he, had, he had worked on a lot of other movies. Uh, he had worked on Near Dark, The Blob, Universal Soldier, Stargate, Tombstone, Deep Rising, and Equilibrium. Obviously, this film did not hurt his career because he recently worked on a little uh, TV show you guys may have heard of called The Mandalorian. So, ah. yeah, I, I love the I love the designs in this movie. That it's like everything's so crazy. I you know we talked about in the Fifth Element how crazy all of the costumes are because everything's kind of like high fashion. This film is not high fashion, but it almost could be like they he does so many crazy things. He was actually talking about uh, in this in this interview, he had a little bit where he was talking about how they were trying different things. They were using a bunch of different materials that are not traditionally used in costumes. And so he was basically like the, the people who were who were putting the time in on this film were definitely the people who were actually making this concerted effort to like make this weird parallel universe that mm. looks kind of like our own, but is also like very uh, definably different than our own, which I love. I, I was just going to say, I mean, there was, and then there's all the fetish wear in the, uh, when they get to the club too. So, Oh my God. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about, Oh my, Oh, oh you want to talk about some fetish wear? I have, I have some other stuff that, uh, oh, I was going to say you have the movie or in general. No. So this film, this is also where I think as a kid, I watched this part and I was like, Okay, this is actually because this is actually a pretty dark world. Like the the whole thing about basically this is a I think there was another interview with I think it was maybe Jaffe who said like, you know, this is basically a world inhabited by carnivores and it is actually a very kind of mean mm. world. <laughs> and that actually shows up in the in the movie. Like there there are so many weird like parts I still don't understand. There there are a couple of cutaways I don't get. There's a scene, I don't know if you guys remember I still don't understand the scene, but there's a guy just like riding a bike and he just like hits a railing and goes over it. I don't know if you guys remember that. Remember that, but I remember like the one car with the skeleton just like yeah. plastered to the yes. front of it. It's like, geez. And 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 I'm still not up on in terms of the 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 genetic diversity of the population there because some of them look completely like uh you know um you, you know mammals, humans, uh, even though they're descended from dinosaurs, others have like horns and some have tails and some have like you know partially mutated unless that's tied to the the devolution gun i guess i don't know hmm. oh that's a good point I hadn't, I hadn't actually thought of that i always assumed it was a situation where like in you know in our, in our reality only one race survived but you know think of a, a world where like neanderthals had survived or other offshoots had survived and kind of coexisted and it's kind of like different species of dinosaurs that had evolved well, that makes sense because when they devolve people to the Goombas, some yeah, of them have those, yeah. those little like kind of they look like the Goombas from the game, even though they're mushrooms, um, <laughs> little heads. And then some of them have like sort of more like snake type God, lizard heads. Snake head things freak yeah. me out as a kid. Still do. Still do. Yeah. Those are now those are amazing. The 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 jumping again to the technical aspects of it. Yeah. The the animatronics in this, like they're because they're fairly the little heads are fairly tiny, but they are yeah incredibly they, expressive they a lot out of them. yeah it's very cool. oh yeah. man they're just really just yeah they show emotion and and you know it's and then you have and then man yoshi 
is an amazing piece. It's, mm-hmm. It was multiple, it took them multiple different. Mm-hmm. Didn't they have multiple different Yoshi's for different um, uh, situations? But the the dinosaur for Yoshi was fantastic. Yeah, I will mention the, the uh, problem with Yoshi is that it was boring. He looked great, <laughs> but then he just sort of ah, you know, he just kind of yeah. sat there like. Oh, yeah. He did get stabbed yeah. at one point though. Yeah, so he, saved, he saved Daisy. I will mention conce- the the conce- uh, the conceptual artist and the creature designer on this movie is uh, a name that Bill Mulligan probably curses every night before he goes to bed. It was uh, Patrick Totopoulos. Who... Do not curse him. I, th- I thought. Listen, <laughs> he was not the problem with Godzilla. You know? I'm so glad you know exactly what I'm talking about. I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, blaming the special effects guy for for the Godzilla—that was the one of the good things about that movie were the special effects. But and, 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 okay, yeah, he's yeah, yeah, but whatever. Yeah. Um, then he was on Face Off for years as a judge, wasn't he? Wasn't he one of the judges on Face Off forever? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's a good guy. He's done a lot of great work, and he did great work in this movie. Totopoulos, yeah, he's had an insane career. He's worked on, he worked on uh, Stargate. He worked on Pitch Black. He's worked in, God, he's worked as a, a special effects artist, a visual effects. Uh, he's directed a couple things, art department. He's, he's been, uh, I mean, he's done so much. And yeah, right. I think his work, I think the, the, the designs in this movie are crazy. The Goombas are actually like, I mean, they're hilarious, but they're, they're so unique. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's, a that's, very true and the the animatronics like the fact that they it was like a guy in a suit but then someone was like controlling the face and everything um yeah really impressive effects i mean i gotta say do we want to jump to uh i think i think the other kind of two main characters that we haven't talked about yet who were introduced to pretty pretty quickly here um actually one of them we saw earlier but uh first let's talk about uh fiona shaw as lena because uh, again, she's not really given a whole lot to do, but I actually think she's uh, she puts in some work here. Yeah, I thought she was really, really good. And people might recognize her. She went on to play. Uh, she was in the Harry Potter movies as uh, Petunia Dursley, which is probably the the biggest kind of movies she's been in. But yeah, I like I love her performance. I love her. Like I kind of I kind of hate that her character is just like the whole point of her character is to be kind of jealous of Daisy. Yeah. But I think she uh, turns in a great performance. No, I yeah. think she does. She, she she's got like the again, like um, uh, Spike and I can't remember the other one's name. Uh, Iggy, yeah. The they she has those like lizard ticks that come out. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and she does a lot with what she was given. I think. Yeah. Um, because you you get a feeling it's not just that she's just je- she's jealous of the position. She's she's like, damn it, I worked for this. This is something mm-hmm. I you know really was going for, and it was more like, look, I put the work in bitch i'm gonna fucking mess you up <laughs> and so yeah I, I thought she did a great job with it i mean that mm-hmm. was it was no she's excellent and she has she has a unique look you know kind of sharp features and everything but an intensity to her um you know just a just an excellent job she does a good job she's always fun to see i mean she was so fun to hate in uh harry potter but they you know, e- even there, she was able to bring a touch of humanity to a pretty broad, unlikable character. You know, all the Dunsleys were pretty over the top, but in that last uh, episode, she showed some stuff there. I, I, she's a, she's a good actress, and she was she was good in this. And she, I think, she's also one of those people. I think she probably looked like this when she was twenty, and she will look like this when she's eighty. <laughs> yeah, you know, she has a look that just stays that way 
throughout her whole life. But yeah. but she could it, rock that vinyl wear though. I'm oh God, her. yes. Mm. Also, mad respect to her because I was watching like a, a behind the scenes thing that was shot like on set at the time, and she did you know their interview and all the actors, and she she basically did the entire interview in character. So she was obviously very dedicated. Oh. Yeah, oh, cool. I loved Great. it. Um, let's actually talk about uh, someone who oddly did not show up in that uh, making a featurette because uh, I don't think the filmmakers wanted to go anywhere near him at the time. Uh, talking about Dennis Hopper. Mojo Nixon? Has, yes, Mojo Nixon. <laughs> Infamously difficult to work with Mojo Nixon. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to say he was robbed. I think they there was far too... I mean, sure, his character was there a long time, but actual Mojo Nixon, yeah. we got far too little of. But he did yeah. throw in an Elvis's Everywhere reference. Did you catch it? Yeah. As he's... As he's getting thrown into the, oh, yeah, the fungus in, is everywhere. The, yeah, no, he says the king is everywhere. Oh, the king getting, is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. As he's getting put oh, into yeah, the yeah, devolving, yeah, he's like the king is everywhere. I was like, yay! And then we got no more Mojo Nixon. We didn't even get him see see him get revolved at the end. I want I want that cutscene. I want to see him get turned back into Mojo Nixon. Damn it! Sorry. All right. Oh, let's <laughs> no. get go back to your. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, we we haven't actually met him yet, but we'll we'll meet him in a minute. Um, okay. Yeah, talking about uh, talking about Mister uh, the Deacon from Waterworld himself, Mister Dennis Hopper. <laughs> Who wants to talk about Dennis Hopper? Because I know oh I do. What can, what can you say? Who he's was Dennis freaking Hopper. He's he's insane. Yeah. He's which is great. You know. Um, there, every, everyone's so Dennis Hopper is kind of like our Oliver Reed. I think anyone who's ever worked with him or been in an elevator with him has a Dennis Hopper story. Um, he, he the only thing even close to Dennis Hopper is Gary Busey. <laughs> yeah, he's like a more famous Gary Busey. Yeah, yeah. and, more and did more, or maybe not more famous, Busey. a better paid Gary Busey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He seems genuinely scary when he when he played. Listen, there are a few characters in history scarier than the character he played in Blue Velvet. <laughs> it, there's an intensity that he brings there, and you just you know when you see interviews with him, it's there. You know he he can get wild eyed. Real. Well, real incidentally, stuff. Blue Velvet was also filmed in Wilmington just yeah. a few years before this. Hmm. Um, you made the comparison to yeah that character. Yeah, I could. I, the second time we watched it, I couldn't stop seeing him as Frank. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't Koopa? He was Frank from Blue Velvet. <laughs> I think it's I think it's also because in Super Mario Brothers, he does have that one line where he's like, "I want to fuck everyone." So that's I think yeah, they yeah, actually used yeah. I, they they reused that line. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 uh, something. Okay, so so I do I do have something I want to say about him. Um, I, I will say that he's the one person who maybe maybe seems like he really doesn't want to be there in the movie, but you know he still gives a great performance because it's Dennis Hopper and he's incapable of not giving a great performance. So. I, I I never trust IMDb trivia these days because anyone can put any anything on there now and people just put a bunch of bullshit. There was one thing in there where it, it mentioned him like yelling at the directors, and I was I tried to find something on it. I couldn't find anything. However, the interview with Richard Edson actually came through. Okay, and this is actually from the from the interview with Richard Edson where he's talking about at one point Dennis Hopper comes in. And I think this is this is actually specifically the scene that we are talking about here because it's uh or no sorry it's, it's actually the next scene I think 
it's the scene where he's in the mud. And I guess they were supposed to be filming that scene. And uh, this is this is kind of picking up the story as Richard Edson t- tells it. He says, this is like two, two and a half hours of him going on and on and repeating himself and variations, whatever. And finally, Rocky and Annabelle just go, please, Dennis, just tell us what you want it to do. We'll do anything you want. They're begging him. And he looks at them as if they're out of their fucking minds and goes, why are you asking me? I'm not the writer. I'm just an actor. Oh, <laughs> which is like I could I could hear that in the in the Dennis Hopper voice. Oh, yeah. and then he goes on to say how like I I guess uh yeah I, I guess for some reason like he went he he basically spent two hours yelling at them and then the the producers came in they went into a trailer somewhere where he proceeded to continue to yell at them which I thought was hilarious. But here's the here's the flip side. Okay, here's the flip side. Dennis Hopper, you know, we talk about he's crazy and all. But the important thing is he actually, Richard, had a follow-up to that because he went on to say, uh, I saw him later and I said, Dennis, I'm curious. I totally agreed with you about how unprofessional it was. But don't you think that by doing what you did, it might have had a negative impact on not just the scene, but the other people there, like us. We had to suffer through the whole thing and it might have affected our attitude and performances. And he goes, you know, I never thought of that. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Thanks for telling me that. I'm sorry. And he walks away. Which I thought was actually kind of funny because, <laughs> you know, Dennis Hopper you, in that situation could have also blown up at him, but he kind of acknowledged it. So. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, he um, keeps you on edge. I, th- I think every every director probably has the same nightmare that they die and go to hell. And hell is they have to make a movie with Dennis Hopper, Oliver Reed, and Klaus Kinski. <laughs> I knew you were going to mention Kinski. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because I'm just picturing Kinski is in this role, so you know, <laughs> could have happened. Oh man! Oh, but you know, goodness. the thing is, to, to Dennis Hopper's uh, credit, I mean, like you said, he 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 didn't want to be there. He's angry, but he channeled that anger into that character because it was yeah. just a, it, you know, Koopa's not a happy character there, and he's and he's pissed no. off the whole time. And I think he used that to that character's advantage. So. I think that's true. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. I actually, uh, I actually found I actually have a couple of quotes from him, which I think again these were actually contemporary when the when the movie was coming out. Um, he he said uh, the directors won't give interviews. Hopper says in, in his air conditioned trailer after being informed of the director's decision not to talk to the press about their work. So yeah, this is while they were filming. Uh, that's the smartest thing I've heard from them. That's the only intelligent thing I've heard that they're actually they they've actually really done. And then he also says the script had probably been. Uh, or the script had probably been written six or five or six times by the time I arrived here. I don't really bother with it anymore. I just go in and do it scene by scene. I figure it's not going to hurt my character at all. So <laughs> yeah, he was obviously done with it by the time. And this was, I think this was an interview that uh, the LA times or something visited the set while they were filming. So even, but even at that point he was yeah. pretty much fed up. So mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, I, I think uh, I, you know, the thing we haven't really talked about is the fact that he, you know, King Koopa is a giant dinosaur in the game, obviously. And in this movie, he's, you know, just Dennis Hopper with crazy hair. But I I think he, you know, it's it's one of those it's one of those situations where obviously, like, what were they going to do? Right. Were they going to have a giant talking dinosaur that probably wouldn't have worked? So <laughs> what they went with is probably uh, obviously, uh, honestly, like the best uh, the best decision. So, yeah, for, I mean, along the giant dinosaur kind of jumping ahead. For the finale, at what at one point wasn't he supposed to be like a big animatronic T Rex, but just for for um, budget, budget, yeah. budgetary reasons? Yeah, that they they had to. It nix seems that. like that's the direction it was going towards. Kind of surprising 
that it kind of ends the way it does. I, I I was I think I read somewhere there was supposed to be some big huge scene at the at the bridge, yeah, the Brooklyn Bridge or something, and that just everything got cut. Yeah, um, I think you know as much as they were changing the script day to day, I think the stuff that actually didn't get into the film was the stuff that they would have had to spend money on because the stuff that they were changing was just like dialogue and character stuff. But yeah, when it came to the, the, the big effect scene, there was some stuff that was cut. And then I, I gotta say this, this other, the scene after that is like, there's so many weird scenes and the, what the Mario and Luigi getting mugged by the old woman who uh-huh. I, think I like asked them if they're armed and they say no. And she's like, good. And she brings out like, the taser on them. Uh, I love that so much. Yeah. And then great. they get rescued by uh, Big Bertha. Yeah, sort of, right? <laughs> yeah, sort of. Which, again, sort of. again shows how insane and fucked up this world is because this yeah. old lady's trying to mug them. And then she just gets thrown onto this car. So It was wonderful. Just picks her up and turns her over and tosses her off. <laughs> tosses yeah. her over. And it's, yeah. and it's an interesting choice with Big Bertha because in the game, Big Bertha's a fish. Yes. Hmm. Oh, yeah, so. my nemesis. Maybe. Oh, God. Yeah. Not here in the movie, but in the game. Oh, Bertha. Yeah. Maybe she was like de- descended from a fish in the in the uh, the canon of the movie. Probably, Could yeah. be. Well, they kept her with like the red dress and stuff, which fits mm-hmm. the character's color, I believe. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and her exposed cleavage, because I think in the game, I do remember Mario having to motorboat her to get past her. At one point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It was like when I saw that, I was like. Oh well, I wasn't. Oh, yeah, you guys, you guys that. had different versions of the games than I did. Well, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that scene when we get to it. But I I have a lot to say about that. Yeah, <laughs> that that whole character in the scene. I do love Big Bertha though. Um, yeah. and then do, do you want to talk some more about uh Mojo Nixon because that's about where we get introduced to him. He is to great. Toad. Well, it's just it's just his characters. Yeah, like Renee said, he's he's great in it, but he's in it for such a short period really yeah. and then i mean he is but his character's in it for a long time i do like that when he gets devolved into a goomba they give him the harmonica holder so that you know which goomba it is yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that i thought that was really clever but damn it we never got to see mojo nixon again so you know yeah i i do i do wish he had gotten re-evolved but hey <laughs> maybe maybe he was going to be in the sequel that they didn't make. Oh, yeah. Bill, do you have any any uh, thoughts on Mojo Nixon as Toad? Yeah, he's great. I, I like Mojo Nixon is just one of those fun guys when he shows up. You know, there's there's a few of them. There's another singer that I'm I'm drawing a blank on who um if you say his name. Tom Waits. It'll come Yeah, he's well Tom Waits is <laughs> Tom Waits is right there in that uh room in hell where you're directing that movie. Um <laughs> <laughs> Tom Waits is the worst person to ever have on a talk show. <laughs> he's terrible, but it, it, it's just train wreck time. But yeah, he's great. No, but there's another guy. Uh, is it Johansson or something? I'm trying to think. Some yeah, yeah, from me. David David Johansson from the yeah, yeah, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, <laughs> Scarlett Johansson also fun. I love her music. Rockabilly. <laughs> Cat, get off my keyboard. I'm gonna. Mm. Am I still on? Yeah, yeah. you're here. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's funny that you mentioned Tom Waits because yeah. uh, Mojo, according to Mojo Nixon, they wanted Tom Waits and he was unavailable. And so Mojo Nixon agent apparently pitched him at third rate Tom Waits for half the price. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. 
at least according yeah, to IMDb true. trivia. No, that, that, he he actually says that in an interview. He said uh, his interview his uh, uh, his agent called him and said, "Look, they want Tom Waits, but I told them they could uh, get you for half the price." So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love him, and I love the uh, the fact that yeah, he he basically exists in this movie to drop some like exposition on them because when they get arrested and they're in the jail cells or the cages or whatever, he he kind of reiterates the whole premise of the film and also gives kind of the the background on the the king and uh, and the, and what's going on with the fungus. So he's basically deliver delivers exposition, but in a yeah. very entertaining fashion. Yeah. And I, I also got to say the whole uh, the whole uh, police station scene is, is I love it so much. It's so freaking weird. And I got to mention uh, the guy at the at the intake desk is uh, Don Lake, who I love. He's been in like oh, a billion things, yeah. but he's been in a lot of the um, uh, oh, Jesus, what's his name? Um, I'm blanking. Oh, I was on mute. Christopher oh, Guest. Chris Guest. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I, oh, I was blanking on his name. Oh. Yeah, he was. He was. He's been in. Uh, he was in a Mighty Wind. He's been in all of those movies. Oh, um, right, right. So God, he's he's just he's hilarious. But it's so weird. <laughs> this I love the scene where they go in and he's like he's like uh, he's like doing the intake. But then there's like the woman with like the high heel yes. that's just like massaging <laughs> like, his neck. In. Yeah, <laughs> like like what digging is her going heel into on? his shoulder. <laughs> What is going on? Oh, oh my great. God. It's so weird. Uh, it actually reminds me of a scene that they were they would have in uh, Last Action Hero, which I believe oh, came out yeah. the same year and was also shot by Mean Semler. But I remember being a kid and like, I was very confused. I'm actually still very confused. But I, I feel like it would have made so much more sense if it was the version they wanted to make in the beginning. Like, oh, well, sure. yes, right. yes. Yeah. And I, yeah, once again, but they I couldn't think, cut it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this this is like the the weird the, the weird shift in tones because you get that and then you get like the uh, you get kind of the exposition dump from Mojo Nixon. And then you have the kind of uh, the scene where uh, is pretending to be their lawyer to, to, and asking them where the 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 necklace is and then you get like the goofy like the evolution scene and then the escapes and it's just man it's just all over the place um so yeah i think that's a big part of why this movie is just so weird it just goes back and forth so quickly so if we want to talk about the the de-evolution i i actually think it's kind of a, a clever kind of little plot point and uh another great quote from mojo nixon because he was talking about the scene where he is getting de-evolved and and Koopa is there. And he says, uh, I was supposed to act scared of Dennis Hopper. Well, when he finally turned mm -hmm. on the full Dennis Hopper craziness, I didn't have to act. I was scared. That motherfucker is crazy. Hmm. So, yeah. Um, it's also kind of kind of cute because apparently, you know, he wasn't really an actor and he was actually getting acting advice from, I guess, uh, from Bob Hoskins. And he, I guess he was kind of going over the top and Bob Hoskins told him, uh, look, tone it down. They're not going to do anything until take six. Everything before take six is going to be setting the lighting angles and everything. Uh, don't do any acting until then. And then when you see me act, then you act, but only act half as much as you've been doing. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. excellent advice. Great advice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I love this scene so much. It's yeah. so... When, Unless you're when, working on one of my films, in which case there ain't no take six. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, put everything into take one because we got to move on. Yeah, one and done. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you, Renee. No, that's okay. I just love when they film him walking in and you can hear him griping in the background of, oh, he, this whole place has gone to shit after Koopa took over. And and then it's like the way they deliver the lines. It just, the like the inflection in their voices, it just absolutely kills me. I actually have a video clip of just that scene because it makes me laugh so much. I'll just occasionally watch <laughs> it. Oh, yeah. I love it. I really love it. <laughs> Yeah, the whole scene is weird. The whole the whole way that honestly, I again like there's stuff I still don't quite get, and it's probably explained by um, he he did give a shit at the time. But Dennis Hopper, <laughs> the way he like talks to the Goombas, like <laughs> it's just so weird. The way he yeah. just goes Goombas, <laughs> it's just like what are you doing, man? Um, Nixon actually had a quote about him, another quote about him, because uh, he was talking about like when you know you turn on acting, and he's like he said the thing was Hopper was just standing there like a lump because he knew this too. He's talking about when to turn on the acting. Uh, he knew they weren't going to get close. So when he turned it on the full Dennis Hopper craziest, I was actually fucking scared. So <laughs> I, I love the fact that he's, he's like all the stories actually uh, bear out about him. Ah, uh, yeah. So, so we get, we, uh, we, we get information on, on why the Goombas are here again. Like this is, I actually kind of love how much backstory there is here, even though it's far, far more complicated than this probably needed if it was going to be like a kid's movie. But I I do love the fact that they were trying to write some some plot around that. Well, I mean, obviously, the Goombas are the best part of the movie to me. I mean, oh, yeah. If if there's anything that sticks out in my mind about this movie or anything that would possibly make me want to watch it again, it's the Goombas. And uh, again, it's just so weird because not until I just looked it up like 10 minutes ago, did I associate the Goombas with the Goombas, you know, in the game. Yeah. It's like, uh, not even close, you know, but the Goombas in the game are not as exciting as the ones in the movie. So. True. I think it's just so weird. We keep saying the word Goomba. Am I, am I wrong? Cause I didn't grow up with a lot of Italians around. I was always under the impression Goomba was kind of an, a slur. Am yeah, I wrong about that? I mean, there's worse slurs out there, but I mean, at least they didn't call them botchagaloops, you know. So, whoa, whoa, I gotta edit that what out. What the hell is that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> botchagaloop. Wow. Huh. So, I'm, I'm sure Botch and botchagaloop were digging in this sweaty hole. See, and Botch turns the botchagaloop and says, "Why are we digging in this?" Oh, oh, never mind. <laughs> a whole other. That's a whole oh, other. I know that. I just found out what my students were saying when they called me pendejo. I thought it was like uh, Spanish for a teacher. God. Yeah, good teacher of the year, right? Yeah, um, right. <laughs> I, I do think the funny thing about this movie is how far away it is from the source material, but then how much of the source material it actually like tries to keep. Because then we're also introduced yeah. uh, very quickly after that, after they escape, we're introduced to the the fungus is now trying to give them a bomb, which is from the video games. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It kills me. It's like going back to bertha like she's got little like thwomp thwomp on her shoes and yes <laughs> you see like little bullet bill in the back and bullet bill yeah yeah and there's so much stuff that they get right and so much stuff where it's like it's like you don't even miss the mark you're like in a completely different country <laughs> yeah like, yeah <laughs> hey that reminds me the, the woman who plays bertha yeah I, am i wrong or is she like the go-to person on tv shows to play a judge 
I feel like I've oh seen God. this woman in robes, you know, with a gavel in her hand a hundred million times. That's a good question. Maybe I'm wrong. I would, I would I not be it, surprised. So, so yeah, uh, uh, you're, you're talking about the, the actress's name is Francesca P. Roberts. I, right. she's been in a lot, a lot of other stuff. She has like a ton of credits. I hadn't really seen her a lot of stuff because she is in a lot of TV shows. Um, but looking at her IMDb, let me read some of her, uh, her former roles. Judge Martha Dreyer, Judge Jenny Hagopian on oh Outlaw. Okay. The first one was on LA, uh, Judge Law and Order LA. Uh, Boston Legal, Judge Jamie Atkinson. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, uh, wow. Allie McBeal, Judge Cynthia Harris. <laughs> so, <laughs> you were like right on. Right oh on. Oh my God. And, okay, I, just, I, I, I just saw her yeah. picture. I'm like, I think I've seen this woman in a judge's outfit. I, I just, and, yeah, uh, now I'm getting images. It doesn't give her name, uh, the name of her character, but she was also in a show called Bad Judge. So, um, <laughs> I, I love okay, and I, I love that though. Like, I didn't recognize her from a lot of stuff because I don't watch a lot of TV. I love when someone like finds their niche and makes a career out of it, and it sounds yes. like that's exactly what she did. That's great. Yeah, because she has yeah, she has like uh, she has seventy four credits, and most of them are TV. But most of them are like recurring roles, which if you're a TV actor and you get a recurring role, that means you're really damn good at your job. So because she's got that she's got that attitude. She's got some sass. Oh, yeah. But she's not like low class about it. Oh, you know, that oh, there's, we're, there's we're gonna, an intelligence there. We're going to talk about the attitude in a little bit because good <laughs> word. I was I was uh, I think very very confused as a child in in special days when I was watching. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> um so yeah, then we get then we get the chase scene. I actually love this chase scene because it shows off like the the cars, all the vehicles are like crazy because they're like I don't know these weird like electric vehicles, I guess. But I love the fact that, that again, like all this stuff is just like super super bizarre, and like all the cars have and, and it, this is like I I don't think they ever actually say this or show it, but like the police cars have like the uh uh like the what do you call them like the cow catchers i guess on the front oh, which yeah. i always assumed was just because they just like run into people indiscriminately and don't give a shit mm-hmm. that's just like the lore in my head they also don't have brakes because when they're going into the police station they do they have like the the rubber band thing like when a uh a jet lands in an aircraft carrier yeah which is so weird but it's like again all these little things they're it's a cool like, idea though it's a cool premise to put in there you know yeah uh it's just it's just so so bizarre um, well, I was going with the, the cars with the, you know, being electric and having the sort of like the bumper car like thing. Yeah, yeah. I love um, the because, car thing. because fossil fuels, they didn't yeah. really have fossil fuels. They yeah. because, but of course, never mind that most I of the fossil fuels what come yeah, from algae. Say, is, but, these are all but, the people like, I'm not going to use oil or petroleum. I have an electric car, which, okay, because yeah. we pull that out of the air, you know. Big <laughs> no, but you can actually generate. The thing with electric cars is you can generate electricity through various other means, not just fossil fuels. So you can so. you can also cut down trees and you know or nuclear power, which has no. <laughs> well, problem. nuclear it's, power, which it's all really just hydroelectric, <laughs> renewable. But anyway, no. But the thing yeah. is, what I'm saying is they were using electricity because presumably they didn't have the fossil fuels. So, except then they then their guns were all flamethrowers. I'm like, well, yeah. what the fuck do you have well, in there? So, dino methane from their butt. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yes, Goomba poop. Goomba and then again, the, then the cars are driving outside of the city where they didn't have the electric grid overhead. So I guess do they have batteries that were charged from the electric grid overhead? I want to know these. Things. <laughs> I think <laughs> I want to know how this world works. 
together with all of the all of the scientific questions about the dinosaurs, we need to uh, compile a list of questions and send them to the screenwriters. Oh yeah, and don't even get me started on the devolute devolution gun and and how that hell is supposed to work. So oh man, and why the hell they don't just put it on and just evolve themselves, you know, really higher level? Which yeah, why not just keep going till you get like a big head and you know look like the great kazoo? Yeah, there you go. I will mention uh, the scene where Yona Shaw, Alina goes to talk to Daisy. I, I I do kind of miss the days where in a in a children's like family film, you ha- could have characters smoking on screen because I love the fact that they have like one of the women smoking. And I only mentioned that because there's oh, actually yeah. a cut scene where she like offers one of the Goombas her cigarette, which apparently people have unearthed. So it's kind of funny. Mm. Um, I, I will also mention uh, we totally skipped over her, but because I actually love her performance in this so much even though it's very small i will mention uh dana kaminsky as daniela who apparently quit acting because her last credit is in 99 but she's like mario's girlfriend who shows up again in here yeah, yeah she was shows she quit that's too bad she was good yeah she was really yeah. good but again who the hell is she what the character right she's not she's oh not from the gate <laughs> no wait okay now listen because so i'm the guy who said his favorite mario was donkey kong Am I wrong? My impression is that uh, Mario is kind of a blank slate, that there's not a whole lot of personality here that you could say, oh, they didn't do right by Mario. Yeah. You know, I could see them saying that about maybe Link or. I was thinking maybe Peach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That Peach. Okay. Hmm. Which, you know. Maybe he, you know, if he called her Peaches or something, gave her a little nickname. Oh, called her Peaches. Shuby. I could have, I could have worked clever. That. That's that's a great idea. Yes, yeah, you should have written the script. Yeah. I should have. Well, again, uh, the, the script I think ignores a lot of the established lore. They just kind of use it as a springboard for so ideas. Weird. You know, I mean, again, the the Goombas are supposed to be mushrooms, so you know. But Renee's suggestion is great, and that's the sort of that's the sort of little. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> They really could have made this movie without it being Super Mario Brothers. It could have just been two yeah. guys. I mean, it. Two guys. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just yeah. Because I thought that was weird too. Yeah. I was like, which which princess is Mario is Mario's girlfriend? Oh, none of them. She's just a woman. You know, it's like they they only had the rights to use so many characters from the game, and then they yeah. had used them all up. So she had to be. Uh, well, I don't even remember her name. I mean, if it was a character, I would remember. But, well, they didn't want to have too many name? princesses. And then they they were like, we're going to avoid the cliche, the Hollywood cliche of, we want to have a young princess. So we want to, but we want to avoid the Hollywood cliche of some old guy getting hooking up with a young woman, which is disgusting. It's like, in how many films does that happen? So it's like, all right, so we'll make her, her uh, Luigi's love interest. Oh, well, okay. Well, canonically, Luigi's love interest is Daisy. All right, we'll do that then. So I think that that's the thought process. They could have made Mario younger. Mario didn't have to be ninety. I mean, how old is he at the game? I mean, it doesn't say you're playing Donkey Kong and Donkey and Mario is like eighty, right? I mean, (laughs) I don't think Bob Hoskins was eighty at the time. In fact, I don't think he ever made it that far. So (laughs) he did not. Uh, Yeah, I think he was. I think he was uh, forty. Or no, sorry, he was uh, like fifty when the movie was made. Yeah, yeah, eighty might have been a slight exaggeration. I really like the idea of him calling her peaches because that's the sort of thing you think if you've got a franchise, <laughs> if you got a franchise, you throw in those little Easter eggs so that the people in the audience who give a rat's ass, which is one out of 20, 
will start elbowing their date like oh my god oh my god did you see what just happened because he grows up to be stilt man and and you're like shut <laughs> up we're trying to watch the avengers who cares that this character stilt is the man? same name is as that a guy stilt man yeah oh yeah he has giant he has stilts <laughs> that can grow really really long and he uses it to rob banks and stuff and uh, oh yeah he hangs with, out with the man with two hands and if you yeah yeah and if you punch him if you punch him hard enough, he falls over because he's like 80 feet in the air on these stilts. <laughs> and, and you know, not listen, not every character in those early Marvels was Doctor Doom and Magneto. Occasionally you had, you know, Stilt Man. <laughs> His names. They're awful. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. Far from well. the worst. Well, I, I think the uh, the next thing I kind of want to talk about is the introduction of probably the final character who is from the video games. And I am, of course, talking about Yoshi. Who is very adorable in this movie. Oh, my goodness. But nobody rides him. I well, saw some script. He is very small. I did Baby. see some script notes that from uh, Annabelle that I kind of agreed with at certain parts. And one of them was that like this little guy is going to cost a lot of money. So let's either make him bigger or just get rid of him altogether. And I think that was mm. a good call that they should have followed. I mean, he was adorable and everything, but ugh. and then the whole time she's like, Oh, you're it's too bad. You're chained up like me. And then when they're done, she just takes his thing off. <laughs> it's like, you could have <laughs> yeah. done that the whole time. Oh, well, yeah. dummy. Well, he, and then he gets stabbed <laughs> at one point, but then he's like, fine. So. Yeah. See, I thought he was going to be like a gremlin. If you unchained him, he was just going to like go crazy and you know do <laughs> something. But nice. no, he was just a you know little dinosaur. Yeah, that would Cute. be Off that would be you. pretty funny. Would have been great merchandising. Uh, yeah, I see. Now you're thinking like a Hollywood executive. <laughs> and I, I thought there was. I mean, again, you know, there's there's like eight billion, you know. Uh, games in this in this franchise, but I mean, was I the only one that thought that they were going to feed him cookies? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you remember no. like Yoshi Cookie was a game. I just yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, they oh yeah, and, they, cookie, yeah. I, I just I don't know. I kept looking for stuff like that, and it's like wow, they could have just this could have just been like Dinosaur Number Two, you know? Yeah, there, there was nothing oh, there's Yoshi, Yoshi yeah. about him. It was there. Yeah. He didn't like Yoshi. eat eggs or or you know, one rode on him or anything. <laughs> <laughs> he well, did lick her though, didn't he? He had like yeah. he used his tongue. Well, no, so he, he did. He, lick. He, huh? he uses the tongue later because he he tries yeah. to eat uh, Lena. Oh, that's true. After, yeah, he stabs. So there, there you go. That is the him. one Yoshi thing. Yeah. Hmm. Side note. Side note. Do you know where the world premiere of the game Yoshi's Island was? Uh, was it Island. Island. <laughs> no, it was held ten miles down the road for me in Lizard Lick, North Carolina. Thank oh. you very much. Oh, nice. Wow. Was uh was Miyamoto there? I have no earthly idea. That's all I know. Okay. <laughs> I love I love Yoshi. Uh we're also introduced to the the scene, the uh the fact that Koopa's really not just evil, he's also kind of a creeper because he's kind of creeping on Daisy. And we're also given the very weird like fact that there's no there's no real rhyme or reason to how there's this whole civilization because there's only this one city and then the rest of the planet is just completely desolate. So it makes absolutely no sense, but that's fine. I missed that part of it, actually. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, no, when he spins the globe. Oh, What's okay. That? Didn't they What's mention that? that at one point? Well, it doesn't, doesn't mean I caught it, though. <laughs> well, yeah. I just remember it because this theme, because he has the globe that's just like, it looks like Mars, but it has like the one city on the like 3D city on it. 
and then we get uh you know we we get some some more mario stuff we get them teaming up with uh, iggy and spike and returning to uh dino hatton after they uh again super kind of dark dystopian where like i guess they're just dumping all of this garbage outside of the city but then we're given yeah one of the uh i think one of the most pivotal scenes of the movie where they go to uh, what is it called the boom boom bar i believe well, again, the, the most the most notable thing for me was, well, there's the, the fetish gear, the people who are like practically strippers dancing up there. And then, of course, uh, those were actual strippers. Oh, all the better. <laughs> Apparently, they there was some there. There was a sequence that was cut here where Iggy <laughs> and Spike had a rap. And because oh. uh, Richard Edson talks about this and he was talking about the whole scene. And apparently, yeah, they they brought in. I guess all of the dancers, quote unquote, from the greater Wilmington area for this scene. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I believe that they were actual strippers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. Going for realism. Well, and, and then, of course, then uh, Mario motorboating Big Bertha. So, yeah, I yeah, felt really bad for her. Um, you felt bad for her? I did a little bit, you know, because they were like having a moment together and yeah, spins her and, around oh, yeah. and he bolted. It was like, oh, yeah, but oh, then yeah. she she like still goes for him after she all does. that, too. Yeah, but I hard mean, to get. Well, I, I love the fact she shouldn't I love... have, she should have told him to get bent, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, but she this is actually this is also after she like punched him, which I kind of love the fact that he uses that <laughs> as his like, come on, yeah. I love yeah. the way you punch me. She goes, should she say like dance with me and I'll punch you all you want? Or yeah. yeah. Wow. Again, tying into the fetish aspect of it. So I also, I posted from the deleted scene of the rap, uh, check out the costume that, uh, yeah. So, Ooh. Oh, <laughs> okay. I remember seeing her like from the side with the tail, but yeah. Damn, how uh, come no one ever cosplays like that? And not that yeah, I'm asking right? Paul or Alan to do this, but. <laughs> okay, I'll step up. I, oh, yeah. you're talking about her. I thought you meant, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I love the scene like Bill was talking about. Like she doesn't really obviously, I mean, she has like, I don't know, a couple of lines in the movie, but uh Francesca P. Roberts has this just presence and this uh this just commanding like demeanor mm -hmm. to her. But she's I mean, she's very threatening, but then she's also like, I don't know, the the scene where she like grabs Mario and she starts dancing with him. I I just love it so much. It's actually very believable. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not sorry we lost the rap because boy, that's usually a painful part of <laughs> movies of this era. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, according according to him, uh, according to him, it was actually it was totally improvised, and they kept and they actually shot it. Oh, that because, makes it better. Well, well, <laughs> according to him, they loved it so much that they shot it. Now, yeah, that could be that could mean anything, but uh, I'd still love to yeah. see that scene. If it, yeah. uh, apparently the people who run the that website ha that's like their holy grail is to actually to find, find footage of the rap. Yeah. Oh man. Um, Some people are looking for a cure for cancer. Rap here. The script didn't even oh. say it. They they again like everyone was just winging it. So so the uh, Richard Edson was just like I guess pitched this idea. Richard Stevens worked with him, and they went into the directors, and they're like, uh, yeah, sure, let's do it, whatever. Because at this point, no one gave a shit. So. Yeah, the directors are all fighting about who put a dent in the car. Hey, you know, I just was whose idea was okay to to give it to an unknown director, right? A husband and wife team. I mean that that you don't see too many of those. And and I would I would never dream in a million years of directing a movie with my wife because I would like to remain married to my wife. <laughs> yeah, right. 
It's it just seems like a terrible idea. Well, it's actually funny that you mentioned that because in a, a lot of the interviews, people mentioned like, yeah, they weren't necessarily even bad people separately, but like together, it it was when that they were together, they would actually often disagree on things, and mm. that was when it was the worst. In fact, there's a there's a quote about them from from this one of these uh, this. Uh, article that was written uh, at the time that someone actually visited the set and i'll actually just read from it real quick uh, hundreds of extras standing around in the 90 degree southern humidity waiting for rockabelle the casting crew's dismissive moniker for directors rocky morton and annabelle oh. jankel rocky and annabelle the flying squirrel show is another nickname for the creative <laughs> partners the hydra is yet a third first oh there's first oh. there's two heads on the snake telling you what to do explains hopper then four then eight heads so yeah that shows mm. uh, that shows how people felt about them by the by the time they got into filming. Mm. That's great. I will also say Fiona Shaw dedicated to her craft the scene where she drinks the drinks the like shot and there's like a worm in it. Apparently, that was an actual worm that she was drinking. So oh, very committed. What? <laughs> yeah. Was yeah, it I figured it was like a gummy worm or something. No. Nope. Well, and since they worm. did six takes of everything, that means she ate six yeah. worms. Uh, apparently, that is true. Apparently, she yeah. at first didn't know that it was a worm, and then she did it, and they were like, "Okay, keep doing it." And she was committed at that point. So, uh, yeah, maybe that was like her thing. Oh my god, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't Are think she sure? got typecast as it's as like the Quentin the woman Tarantino who eats worms. Worms. Yeah. And then we all are also introduced to the other thing that was really cool as a kid that we saw earlier with Big Bertha, which is the uh, the boots, which oh. I, I still love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the boots are great. And at first I was like, I was like, why don't they use them more? But they had to be charged, didn't that? That's yeah. what they had, like, they the had little cartridges. bullet bill. Yeah. yeah, that looked like bullet bills, right? Did they not? Yeah. And they had the little cartridge to charge them. So I was like, oh, OK, I'll <laughs> give you that. But in the, I remember advertising for that. They they showed those like endlessly. Like you thought oh, yeah. they would be, since it's you know since it was a platformer, you'd think they would be jumping all the time. So mm -hmm. yeah, well I, I love yeah I love how again it's like kind of a a reference to that <laughs> where they kind of figured out how to how to fit it in like the jumping aspect. So yeah, I don't <laughs> know. The next thing I, I want to talk about is uh, where we are finally kind of introduced to uh, to the actual fungus. Where uh, King Koopa goes in and talks to the king, uh, pretty gross, but I love it. Oh, it yeah. is, but you know what threw me off though is when when like the the he said you know the the king pops out like the king is the fungus <laughs> everywhere, but like the mass of him comes out. It to me it looked just too mechanical. It was like it didn't have like even though it had like cover with goo, it was like oh it's this big ball metal ball that dropped out. I don't know. I just mm -hmm. think the. Though I do think it was a it must again one of those weird references. It, to me, it reminded me of the the pipes that are all oh. over Mario games, and so mm -hmm. I think that maybe was the idea. But to me, it was like, oh, it would have been better if it had been kind of stretchy, like it, as yeah. if it wasn't a distinct mm -hmm. piece, but just kind of bulged out and blooped, right, right. You know, funguses freak you out. You know, they're yeah, they're pretty. It was pretty repulsive. So it was definitely awkward. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought the the pipes came in later when they go down the uh, they're on the uh, the mattress. Well, and that's that true. Well, I mean, you got you know multiple versions, of that, you know, yeah, multiple references. How about that? True. So yeah, it, it, I think I think also uh, probably the the next scene is really my <laughs> it's the weirdest scene in the movie and probably my favorite. But uh, the uh, the the elevator scene. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Were they thoughts on that? 
It's so ridiculous. It's just so ridiculous. <laughs> I guess for maybe those who are not recalling it offhand is when Luigi and Mario are in the elevator and all of a sudden the doors open and the Goombas come in and they're just like, oh shit. And all of a sudden <sighs> Luigi just grabs one and he's like, just, just follow me on this. And he's like, starts swaying him from side to side. And the next thing you know, they're all dancing <laughs> in the elevator. Oh God. It was ridiculous and funny. Yeah. It yeah, that was weird. That was weird. <laughs> it's totally random. It it's was. totally like, random. why did you think that would work? What is how? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, somehow them dancing made it, it. It made it where they couldn't see them, or they didn't think about. It was like they were that? so like enraptured by the dancing. I guess that I guess. they just would. Yeah. I think it's <laughs> like if you tickle an out the under under an alligator's neck, like it hypnotizes them or something. Right. What? I don't. I, I don't know. I don't if that's know true. That. I, that's what they say at the alligator wrestling thing. I don't know if they still do that. I think you flip them over, right? Well, I, I, what I've been told, and I'm not ever testing this, um, alligators can like crush, they can like close their jaws with 2,000 pounds per correct. square inch, but they have no muscles to open their jaws. That is correct. So <laughs> if, you, if you just grab them by the snout and hold on relatively tightly, they can't do anything about it except shake their enormous heads and decapitate you with their tails so they will know. roll you into oblivion <laughs> right until you let go and then it's two thousand pounds per square inch on you but yeah i i've never tried rocking one but maybe it'll work i don't know yeah well next time you're getting attacked by one try tickling it and see what happens yeah, yeah see it might be rabbits that you can flip over and put to sleep Why oh that's you? a boy that's a bad evolutionary yeah. Rabbits are already the rabbits are the bitch of of like every meadow out there. I mean, everyone eats rabbits. If you've got some evolutionary oh. quirk where all the predator has to do is flip you over and then <laughs> eat you at his leisure, could probably stack you up like cordwood just on your backs. Man, that's why they reproduce so much. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, that, yeah. that explains the twenty babies. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna go cry now about rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, another another thing I just thought about, uh, and this is this is like super reaching, but uh, uh, Luigi's belt in this movie it's like rainbow colored. Oh. Is that potentially a uh, a reference to uh, the Rainbow Road in Super Mario Kart? I did not even I didn't that went right over my head. I, well, isn't I, that I, like uh, fifteen years before? What I don't know. Uh, Super Mario Kart came out in ninety uh, two. So, oh, oh, yeah. was there a Rainbow Road in the original? I don't even I think remember so. that. Yeah, I, I just remember the one on the Wii. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, yeah, that was the, from the beginning. They've had the Rainbow Road, so probably not ah, intentional, okay. but uh, we're gonna say it is because oh. I, I like. Why not? Them. Why not? Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to I, I, I think I think you guys are underselling Yoshi because he does oh. have his hero moment where. Uh, Lena is is kind of basically <laughs> trying to stab uh, Daisy to death, and then uh, the reason that Yoshi gets stabbed is because he starts trying to eat Lena's leg uh, with her with his tongue. So yeah, he does have. And there's no moment. consequence of him being stabbed. Like he uh, doesn't die. He's not dying. He's not even injured when we see him later. It's like you know, I just kind of it it, it negates his sacrifice, sort of. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> He didn't have to sacrifice. I mean, you know, he's still injured later. Could but... have been the ultimate salt in the wound, though. Mm. <laughs> Killed for Yoshi. Yeah, you oh, can't man. kill Yoshi. That was probably like in one of the darker scripts. Yeah, uh, probably. 
or he probably in, in, in the he dark. He falls into quicksand and gets pulled down. Yeah, it's in, oh, in the no. darker script. In the darker script, <laughs> uh, he, he probably like, swallowed <laughs> yeah. Lena whole while she was like screaming. Ooh. Yeah, well, that, I mean, she doesn't really have a very good end either way in this one. So oh, that's true. Oh, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. One, one other scene I also wanted to call out because, again, like there there are a lot of just random one off things in this movie. Uh, but I love when King Koopa's ordering pizza and he orders oh, pizza. God. But the guy comes on the screen and he and he says, King Koopa here, I'd like to order a pizza. I I love how the the most that would be like if Joe Biden ordered a pizza and he got on the 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 phone and he was like hi it's President Joe Biden here I'd like to order a pizza <laughs> the most powerful man in this entire universe and he introduces himself to the pizza guy I just love it but it sounds like, like, Chris, it sounds like Christopher part. Walken would do that yeah. that shows his, that shows his humility. That shows that he's, uh, sure. he's it, 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 it makes that more of a well of three dimensional character. It shows that he he is he cares about his people and he's, he's in touch the with them. He is, and he's. Are you not, sure it's he's not, not, he's not like power. saying "Don't screw my pizza up" or that's it? You know. No, no, no. Oh, it's oh, he's a man dude, of that's people. a darker take. No, but 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 it's not like it's not like everyone knows who King Koopa is. My my point is like, why does he have to uh, introduce himself? It's also the friendliest we see him in the entire film when he's ordering the pizza because he's very well, friendly. When I know well, you want to be coming. friendly. To... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> it, you know what Zach, you should know, Zach. You should know this from that short we did together. You never insult the person who's bringing the pizza. True. Yeah, very true. Get a wad of gums to spit right into it. <laughs> I will. I also want to mention that the piece of delivery man is played by Matthew Zachary Hopkins, who has no other film credits to his name. So I don't know. I don't know how he didn't blow up after this. But is he related like to Anthony Hopkins? Maybe he actually did blow yeah. up after this. Uh, maybe he did. I, I think. I think there's actually somehow I caught that there's actually a missing credit though from him because if you actually watch the end credits, which somehow I just I. I only noticed this probably because I had read his name and then I rewatched the movie, but he's actually a production assistant on this film as well. So hmm. I thought that was kind of funny. When you watch the end credits, did the Beastie Boys have a song? Uh, yeah. Yeah. They played their, oh. you know, Walk the Dinosaur, one of their famous Excellent. hits. Uh <laughs> <laughs> There's a Beastie Boys song in every movie. Oh, mm. God. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Any, anything else we want to talk about? We're kind of getting to the uh, the climax here. Um, where there there are a lot of little scenes, but I I don't know. I'll kind of open it up uh, to anything anything else anyone wants to mention uh, before we get to uh, to the actual climax. Well, the you were talking about the uh, the mattress scene where they're, they're sliding down. Wasn't there? There was. I thought I read something about like pretty much uh, the the people almost dying while they were doing it or something. <laughs> yes. just... mm. Yeah. So what, I, what was that? What was the uh, I did. Renee, did you did you do you remember what that was? Did you read that at all? I did not. Gosh, no. Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember. I I I know I read that, but I didn't actually take a note on it. It was something about uh, I think for some reason someone did something to make them go faster. But they when they then they went back and did another take, but they forgot they had made some change. And they actually went flying out of the end of the pipe onto it's an, and they were filming this whole thing in the concrete factory. So they went flying out onto the uh, the concrete and they were saved because they were on an actual mattress. So they feel like, I don't know, t 
20 feet to the ground or something like that. But oh yeah. Oh my God. I, I also mentioned Bob Hoskins mentions almost dying multiple times on this movie. Mm. So he mentions he was uh, electrocuted once. He was stabbed multiple times accidentally, but, uh, and he broke a finger. So apparently a very dangerous set, believe it or not, a movie made by complete amateurs who had no clue what they were doing. Uh, didn't make for the, the safest set. But in the end, he thought that the sacrifice was all worth it. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> oh, I, oh man. So yeah, do we do we want to talk about the uh the, the final showdown between uh uh Koopa and and the the Mario brothers? Yeah. Yeah, let's yeah, let's do, do it. it. Uh so we got, got a couple things going on. Uh you know, the the whole the whole plot, the whole premise that we haven't really even talked about is, you know, they're just they're trying to uh to to find the uh the, the crystal so that they can kind of you know teleport um and yeah we we get the 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 whole scene where they're the the devil the the evolution devolution guns but they have the the showdown with uh koopa we get the the bomb everything kind of comes together i love again like the most impressive thing about this movie is i think the uh, a lot of the sets and i love how in this scene especially where they're fighting koopa you get the like uh campaign posters in the background for koopa where it's like it's like talking about him being an environmentalist or something and it's like him with a chainsaw and then we get the uh where uh yeah lena manages to get the the crystal and she kind of combines the uh she i guess activates it and it kills her in a very grotesque fashion again very macabre for a uh for a for a film that was yeah uh, you know technically a children's film the fact that she like gets turned into a skeleton um yeah and then then you get the merge scene i i do love the thing i'll call out here and i think it's actually he's wearing this earlier but you really see it when he's in new york dennis hopper's costume in a scene is amazing and i love his tie and i wish i could find one to wear because it's like a weird, it looks like almost like a centipede or something. The other thing, the other important reference here is uh, the the guns, the the evolution guns they use are uh, basically repainted Super Nintendo Super Scopes. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. So not only not only a reference to the games, but uh, an actual reference to the hardware. I think I've got a Super Scope. I should go down and play with it. Yeah, it's good. Uh, you can pretend like you're in the Super Mario Brothers movie. Ooh. <laughs> um, and then yeah we get we get the the final scene where they kill koopa i will mention uh one of the things that i realized as i was kind of rewatching this movie and thinking about it uh actually the second film where john leguizamo kills dennis hopper right well this would be the first one well right? yeah sorry i guess the first the, the first <laughs> of two you're, you're correct yeah because that, that um, also takes place essentially in in a version of Manhattan does it not in the the, the other. I'll let you get to it. Uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's Manhattan. Yeah, we're we are of course talking about uh, a a zombified uh, John Leguizamo killing Dennis Hopper about uh, twelve years later in Land of the Dead. That's right. Wow. Yeah. I don't think it's in New York. I think I think that's set somewhere appropriately, okay. like in Pennsylvania. But may, I mean, okay. maybe it is. I don't know. Well, there it's like a big city, Fiddler's Green. I think. Is yeah. Like yeah, I assume I've always assumed it was Pennsylvania just because oh, George Romero, yeah. but I could be wrong. And and that makes Dennis Hopper is the first person in a George Romero movie to use the word zombies. A film that uh, hopefully at some point we will also be talking about. Yeah, I think it's underrated. Yeah, oh, I swear they actually mentioned zombies in in Day of the Dawn of the Dead. I swear. Nope. 
Really? I swear they did. I, I think, okay, yeah, we're, let's, we are definitely going to have to revisit this because I've always heard that what Bill just said, but I actually yeah. feel like maybe there is a reference somewhere, but I don't know. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a topic for, for later don't discussion when we get to the Living Dead films, which uh, I think we might be doing next, but. Ooh. Okay, uh, let's talk about the, uh, after they kill Koopa, the weirdest cameo of the movie, because he's literally <laughs> in here for a single shot. But uh, the, uh, the Mushroom King, I can't remember if that's actually what they call him, inexplicably played by Lance Hendrickson. Lance Hendrickson. Yeah, the man. <laughs> which is oh, so yeah. weird. He has like one he has like one line which is like I'm back. Yeah. And, and apparently uh, did you I'm sure you saw that I guess the spitting out he had like a mouthful of rice that yes. he spit out and that was his idea. <laughs> yes. Because when you get a pro like Lance Hendrickson saying that's what and he's he, going to bring to the job. He gives you a yes. suggestion, you say yes, Mr. Yes. <laughs> yes, sir. Um so yeah, I love the fact, and this kind of gets to, we'll talk about probably, well, actually, I mean, we can probably get to it here. Uh, you know, they, they go back to New York. Uh, I also love the fact that we, we haven't, we didn't mention it, but we open earlier in the film, we open on them watching the uh, Miraculous World TV show, which I kind of love that, that I always love TV shows within a movie. Um, mm -hmm. But I do kind of wonder if he was cast, may, um, maybe he had more scenes and then maybe they were just cut. But I do wonder if he was cast because in the back of their minds, they were planning on making a sequel, which mm -hmm. it probably one of the greatest teasers of all time. Oh, man. We, we, yeah. Do you, do we, who wants to talk about the, uh, the, the last shot here? Are you talking about when Daisy yeah. bursts in? Yeah. My understanding is that that actually wasn't set up. That was that really wasn't set up for a. Uh a sequel it was more of a reference to back to the future where she pops in she's supposed to be like it's supposed to be like a doc oh. popping in thing uh you know you've got to come with me to help your kids and it, it was supposed to be more of a reference to that oh okay i don't remember exactly what the hell she says that's why that's all i can say about it because they made so many other movie references in the film <laughs> i know why what can i say they have a new mission I mean, obviously, that's what the sequel, had there been a sequel, would have been. They go yeah. on a new mission. We're not going to watch them fix toilets or anything. It's, it's just, <laughs> um, I just like the, the Anchorman, you know, is like, maybe they should be called the Super Mario Brothers. And it's like, yeah. okay, so there's the moment in the movie where we say the title. Yeah. Just cut the credits right there. I think she says, doesn't she say something like, you, you guys aren't going to believe this? Or something like that. So mm -hmm. yeah, and I do think like even if they said like, oh yeah, we weren't really said it was a it was a reference. Like yeah, come on, if this movie had made like a hundred million dollars, oh, yeah. they definitely could have built off of that. And this is something, and I I we're, I know we're running low on time. A couple of people have tried to kind of follow this up in other media because <laughs> if you love this movie, if you're you know if you grew up watching this movie, it is one of those things where everyone's like, oh man, well what, what would the sequel have been? So um so yeah. But sadly, they haven't found anyone willing to give them buckets of money to set on fire. Oh, God. Well, I don't know. Is there anything else we want to say about the actual movie? Or do we want to kind of go into, uh, you know, the release and uh, how this how this film performed? Or no, actually, Paul, you want to do you want to mention really quick the uh, after credit scene? Yeah. So, again, when we were watching it, I was like, well, what happened to Spike and Iggy and I'm like yeah. I'm like you know that was kind of that was like I they kind of left them where they just stopped and then all of a sudden they they're it's 
uh, like the apartment and you have uh, some presumably Japanese characters show up and say, oh, we want to make, do they say make a video game? They want to make mm-hmm. a video game about your adventures. And you're thinking, oh, it's the Mario Brothers. And they pan over and it's <laughs> Spike and Iggy. And you're like, woohoo, they actually did cover that. So that was, yeah. that was kind of clever. Well, and this was actually one of the things that Rocky Morton talks about in his interviews, which again, I, I don't know, like he, he try. it seems like he tries to make his ideas like, okay, he was making like he was making a Super Mario Brothers movie. I'm sorry, but there's you can only go so highbrow. But this was yeah. actually like one of his highbrow ideas was, um, and he even like uses this as his defense because like, oh yeah, everyone keeps talking about how we didn't follow the games and we weren't faithful. And he's like, no, the actual story behind that was the movie is the actual story, and then these Japanese businessmen were supposed to come in and. Uh, buy the rights to the story for a video game and the video game is based on the actual story so the video game actually got it wrong and i'm like yeah dude no one no one cares <laughs> so it's kind of funny it's kind of funny that actually did i guess survive in this uh in this after credit scene so oh wow um i still think it's funny that he thought that people would read that much into a, a video game movie sorry but uh yeah so yeah, that's pretty much the movie. Is there anything we missed or skipped over that anyone wants to talk about before we go into uh, some other the segments? Postmortem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if not, well, we can move on to, we have a segment that we, we talk about franchise and legacy. And so a couple of things I want to mention, this pretty much killed the Mario IP and they never did anything else with it. The, the, no, no games, <laughs> no anything. I'm just kidding. Uh, this did nothing apparently so at the time that they made this movie roland joffe talks about how the fact that the i guess nintendo was so confident that they could license the property and it didn't matter it wouldn't hurt their ip no matter what they did and And obviously they were right (laughs) so the super mario brothers 3 game made 500 million dollars in the u.s which the movie was even if the movie had been a runaway hit it would never have approached five hundred million dollars. This is the I think this is the point where they began to realize it's the the tail is wagging the dog here. It, it used to be the goal of everything was well, and if it's popular enough, we're going to make a movie out of it. Oh, do you really think? So? But but now it's like okay, yeah, we'll make a movie of it and add you know a little bit of money to the pile of money that we've made from the game. If if you give a choice, we'll give you a hit movie or a hit game. It's like oh not even a question give me the hit game because they actually you know when they make a profit it's a real profit um you know i'm sure no matter how much money it made it never would have made any profit uh you know it's just interesting that that video game the amount of money that these video games make games i've never heard of so dwarf what all but the most successful movies make it's a very different uh, environment out there and this is one of the first ones to really kind of bring that home yeah, well, this film was pretty expensive when it was made. I mean, the budget yeah. in today's budget, I mean, this is like indie film budget, but it was, uh, I think it was $42 million that that it cost. Yeah. I don't know if that was their original budget or, you know, I think they went way over budget. So who knows yeah, if they thanks. actually meant to spend that much money. Yeah. And yeah. this movie ended up making uh, about $20 million at the domestic box office. Oh, so. that's less than 40 <laughs> <laughs> your your math your math checks out and i, I will say i i will say so so there are two big things going against this the the first one is yeah like this was a 
an attempt to make an adult film out of what was primarily a children's film property or a children's right. property, entertainment property. It was never going to work. However, there's something else that I don't think I've actually seen mentioned anywhere else, but I went back and looked at the dates because this movie came out in 1993. Does anyone remember what other movie with dinosaurs came out in 1993? It's not a trick. Well, I can only imagine it's Jurassic Jurassic Park. It's Jurassic Park. Not only did Jurassic Park come out the same year, Jurassic Park came out two weeks after this movie. Oh, brother. This movie, even if this movie had been a great film, this movie had no chance. So it's kind of funny that like, yeah, the, the film failed on its own, but it definitely didn't help that the biggest, one of the biggest films in history opened two weeks later. And incidentally, it was also about dinosaurs. So, oh, I was yeah, thinking you know, it, it was really, it really, it really sucks old. when you, when you spend $30 million to make Damnation Alley and, uh, you know, with the best special effects you can buy for $30 million and then Star Wars comes out yeah. and pretty much makes <laughs> you look like a piece of donkey crap. Yeah. So. Now, obviously, we mentioned at the top that this was kind of the first live action video game adaptation. And Almost the last. It, well, it wasn't. It's kind of funny, though, because this film failed miserably. And mm. as Hollywood tends to do, like Hollywood, I don't know, it seems like two things happen in Hollywood. When a film that is for a very specific like audience or a very specific genre bombs, it will either mean that no other film of that type will get made for a very long time, or they'll just ignore it because other people are convinced they, they still, they can still make money and they'll just kind of barrel along and kind of disregard the failure, which is kind of what happened here because the year after this movie came out, there was a huge bomb that also uh, another huge bomb came out based on a, a video game, which was, I don't know if anyone remembers double dragon. Oof. <laughs> yeah, which I got to say for everything, everything about Dennis Hopper as the villain in this movie uh, cannot be said for Robert Patrick in that movie as much as I love Robert Patrick. Oh, my God. Um, but then uh, See, speaking... isn't Double Dragon just basically the video game, just two guys punching people. <laughs> yeah. So, no, actually, again, it's another game where they try to make a huge story out of you it. Can't blame, you can't blame the video game. When it's such a thin plot, I mean, if they tried to make a, a, a movie called Frogger and it was two hours <laughs> of a frog trying to go across, uh, you know, I mean, there's just nothing there. It's it, it, it's like they made they made a movie about Battleship. Now, Shauna happens to like that movie because it's got Liam oh, Neeson God. in it. And I, and I sort of admire the, the, the way that they ball peen hammered the premise of Battleship, which is nothing there is no story in the game battleship it is just oh, come on and, and the way they actually try yeah. to make it well okay our radar doesn't work so we gotta throw these depth charges yes. and you know like oh I, yes. i'm like i'm giddy with myself because i know whoever came up with that idea like yeah. they, they, some screenwriter we're gonna make a movie about battleship and he's like drinking and, and thinking about cutting his wrists and then he came up with this idea <laughs> and and just got on the phone tears coming down his eyes as he described this and the guy's like, you, you did it. You did it, man. You know, and just, uh, you know, it's just, we keep joking yeah. that there's going to be a Hungry, Hungry Hippos movie, but there will be a goddamn Hungry, Hungry Hippos movie. We should be writing the script. But, you know, it, and then these movies, these movies bomb because the audience is smart enough to like, when you tell it to them, it's like, hey, we're making a movie based on the game Twister. 
And you're like, yeah, I remember the game Twister. There was no story in the game Twister other than, you know, it's just a just an easy way to cop a feel with, with plausible deniability. I mean, you know, I, I don't see a movie. I'm not seeing the movie here. What's the story? Oh, well, whatever. Yeah. But, well, you know, we would if this movie had hit, we would have seen Frogger and Pitfall, which actually might have been good. But we had Pitfall. Let's go to Indiana well, Jones. Yeah, I was going to say Pitfall was just ripped off of Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, well, that, but that actually didn't stop Hollywood because there was actually another film in 94 that came out with uh, a great, uh, a great villain um, and actually did did some did some real business. The villain was actually in his last uh, feature film role was I know Raul Julia. Yeah. yeah. You, you know what movie I'm talking about, of course. A little movie called Street Fighter, yeah. which did pretty well. And then and then the next year, Mortal Kombat came out, which did really well. And then a few years later, Laura Croft Tomb Raider came out, which did extremely well. And then Resident Evil came out, which had like seven sequels. So right. eventually, eventually Hollywood figured out, uh, I mean, there have been, there are still plenty of bombs, obviously. A lot of movies where someone thought they could cash in by, you know, slapping the name of a popular video game. But uh, hey, you know, now we have movies that, uh, you know, Detective Pikachu, Sonic the Hedgehog last year did really mm -hmm. well. So uh, this definitely did not stop Hollywood from seeing dollar signs and trying to adapt these games into movies. So I think the lesson they learned was to do a good video game movie um, like every other movie genre there is have a finished script before you start <laughs> shooting yeah. there have been a handful of movies that like and we started shooting without a finished script and it still turned out great and like oh. i said a handful you can hold them yeah. in your hand and for every one of those there's a whole bunch where they just thought it'll all come together it'll all come together and no it was a nightmare and they just flushed money away and i just i, I don't know how that happens. There's so many good scripts out there that haven't been made. They're on that list, you know, the list of great scripts that for some reason have never been made. But still, every year, this lesson, you know, tons of money are thrown away on a project where they don't have the script. But if we don't shoot soon, we're going to lose this big actor because it's pay or play because they yeah. got a hell of a good agent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, this film did not do well. We did not get the sequel that nope. I think so a, a small number of, uh, of fans uh, kind of hoped for. And yeah, there, I mean, this film has very little impact on the video game to film uh, kind of subgenre. And really the only legacy it has is kind of what I mentioned where a small group of people has kind of glommed onto this movie and, you know, for, I think we'll talk about that in our final thoughts, but I kind of understand why uh, this is by no means a great movie, but I would argue it's kind of an interesting movie. It's also a very unique movie. I mean, there there's mm -hmm. never been another movie like this for better no. or for worse. I think a movie about the making of this movie would be an entertaining movie. Oh, God, yes. I would watch that movie. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and, and I think uh, I think someone I think the the I think some of the people involved with that website I mentioned are actually doing a documentary about it um, because they've been they've actually scored some interviews with people over the years and I think they're they're actually trying to do like a feature length documentary so that would be kind nice. of interesting. I would love to see a dramatization of it like a la the disaster artist, but yeah, <laughs> I think it's probably yeah. too niche for that. Well, let's wrap it up and. 
uh let's start with uh the number one rap fan of this group because he's been very quiet but i am kind of interested to hear his thoughts because i think i kind of already know what they're going to be but uh alan do you want to give us your your ranking on this one and your final thoughts on super mario brothers the movie sure so um like i said i was i was actually excited to watch this because i had i had meant to to see this for some time and it's just one of those things where you know you're watching movies with people and and this is just one that a group of people probably never agree to watch um but i you know i I mean so i came into it you know i didn't know what it was going to be about i assumed it was going to be about you know these two plumbers that do something but it it just it kind of missed the mark for me on everything i mean it it, you know, I was watching and I was like, well, you know, is this a movie for adults or is this a movie for kids? And there was no cussing in the movie. So I was like, OK, well, this was obviously aimed at, at you know, kids. But even me being as old as I am now, you know, I, I didn't like the movie as a as a kid's movie. I think I'd rather it have been animated uh, than anything, anything else. But anyway, like I said, the, the the most memorable thing about this movie that I'll remember forever are the Goombas. I mean, I love them. Other than that, I mean, it's it's just to me, it's just so unmemorable. And um, uh, I, I, we're doing five rewound tapes, right? Yeah, out of yeah. Uh, out of out of five VHS tapes, what what would you out give this five one? Five VHS tapes. I mean, I think I'm gonna have to give this one. Oh, um, oh my! I'm gonna have to give it a two. I'd give it a one point five, but like I said, I, I like the Goombas. They they're like. It, it, I mean, other without them, to me, there would be absolutely nothing memorable about this movie. But I like the Goombas, um, and you know, you know, me and my conservative self, I like to find a movie where there's actually no cussing in. Mm. And that still only got all of that. Still only got it a one, one half more of a rewound tape. So yeah, two rewound tapes out of five. I guess you missed the scene where Koopa just yells, "I want to fuck." But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did miss that. Um, yeah. I, I must have dozed off after eating all my cereal or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, all right, well, let's continue on with someone who had not seen this film until they viewed it for this episode. Uh, so, Bill, why don't you give us your your rankings and, and final thoughts on this? Um, I, I agree. Two tapes. Two tapes. It's it's not good, but it's it's too entertaining to to you know really be uh, you know there's bad movies that are boring and you just want to turn them off uh, you're, you're sorry you saw them and there's some that are bad but there's a lot of eye candy and there's stuff going on and you know you keep watching it it's not working it's a train wreck you you, you weep for the money that was wasted but ah, i i could i can imagine watching this again so uh yeah two's fine Two's fine. It's not good, but it, the story behind it is interesting. I mean, it gave us a lot to talk about, and people are still talking about this. Articles are written about this. Um, it, it's memorable. Memorable disasters are, are kind of fun in their own way. Not for the people making them, obviously. This sounds like a real tragedy and one that <laughs> it's, you know could have been avoided. I mean, reading reading that and listening to the research that you did and everything, it's like you wonder how these intelligent people, and they are intelligent people because some of the movies that the producers were behind were you know top-notch stuff, how they could have stumbled into this. 
and also you kind of look at like what what the producer did before and after and it feels like this really took a lot of wind out of sails that this this had some long-term consequences for people's careers some way more than others uh and and that's you know it's it's really easy to to laugh at failure when it's someone else's failure and and with with movies it's on such a grand scale too but you know be human for a minute it's these people that's a lot of work that is so many people putting work into this and then to have everyone just crap all over it with good justification that's got to hurt you know it's it, it's it's got to hurt to to put all that into it and it just didn't work and and it's not the fault of the creators. A lot of good creative people in this, a lot of technical people. But this was a project that was misbegotten. And uh, yeah, so fun to talk about and, uh, and not, not terribly not. It's fun to watch. So two, maybe I'll even bump it up to two and a half. Oh, man, talk yourself into it. I love it. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's actually kind of funny. You mentioned the the ebb and flow of uh of hollywood and one thing we didn't mention but i kind of read uh offhand in some of the stuff that i was reading about but one of the other characters that was considered for uh luigi and he was actually discounted because he had had a couple of movies around the time that they were developing this there were a few films that he had i guess been in that had kind of not done so well uh so they they kind of went with someone else but uh tom hanks Hmm. So yeah, who who oddly enough, uh, same year as this film appeared in Philadelphia. <laughs> so bringing it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, bringing it back to uh, to John Leguizamo. So kind of interesting. Um, obviously, his career uh, never never kind of picked up after Turner and Hooch. So uh, sorry, Tom. Uh, <laughs> I know you're still still looking for work. Up to now. <laughs> well, let's draw. see. <laughs> What's that, Renee? Not a big draw. yeah well uh let's see if we can get a good rant out of a man who i i don't even know if he's still conscious because i haven't heard from him and the the last Mm. bowl of cereal may have done him in but paul if you're still with us give us a ranking give us some rants let's hear what you think well let me give you the rants first i'll end with my ranking great um so yeah after three bowls of cereal i'm still conscious um because i pace myself today so that's 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 the key is you got to pace yourself with the cereal uh, all right so this movie is a shit show it's it's a mess it makes like the story doesn't necessarily go the places it's supposed to there's stuff kind of hinted at and then just dropped there's uh it, it just completely ignores large portions of the the super mario lore um and there actually was lore at that point already established um it's just it's it's messy it doesn't you know you're like where does this go logically i mean i couldn't i still couldn't sit down and put together the plot really and then the scientific inconsistencies oh my god but i had such a ball with it i absolutely (laughs) had a good time i mean i watched it a second time granted i was i was drifting in and out of consciousness because my (laughs) My not pacing myself with the sugar, but I, I think when I watched it, that was if I was ten years old and hopped up on a n- numerous bowls of sugary breakfast cereal, I would be all over this. Um, and even you know, at fifty three, not hopped up on breakfast cereal at least the first time, uh, I, I had a ball, and not in a in a and in, in, in an unironic way. Not oh, it's so bad, it's good. No, no, I mean the it was it was just this 
weird fever dream the because you did you had these actors who who at least were giving it their all even though the script was a piece of shit and the direction particularly was garbage you had excellent production design you had some cool special effects some cool makeup you've got some cool costumes you've got some interesting things you've got you know uh, bob hoskins uh, you know motorboating big bertha it's just you have all these mm. just weird things that that <laughs> it's so much fun and and so that's it's like wow i it's i can see why people like it and 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 not just on a oh through through rose colored nostalgia glasses because we've talked about that before this was genuinely fun um and like i said in, in a in a non-ironic way and but how does one rate a film when it's like the, the film craft is i mean some of it's excellent you know the production mm-hmm. is values it but the direction and the script are such garbage uh, how do you rate a film like this and you have to go well did i enjoy it did i have fun did i did they get some re- honest to god laughs out of it um and did we just talk about it for over three hours? Yeah. <laughs> and and did I just eat three gigantic bowls of cereal with it? Um, see, the, the trick there is to pace yourself. So if you're gonna if you're gonna if you are gonna watch mm. the film hopped up on cereal, do not finish the first bowl before the close the opening credits. Okay, pace yourself out. <laughs> it's what about? Is it about an hour and a half? Is that what it yeah, is? Paul, you have to give your rating in yeah. bowls of cereal instead so, of cake. I'll allow it. It's a great I'll health okay. advice. Here. All right. So it, it 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 um you'd have to pace yourself out. So I'd say a bowl of cereal about every half hour. I did about an every hour Ooh. on on this go round, uh, give or take, maybe every forty five minutes. So all right. Um, as as the insulin is kicking in and I'm winding down. <laughs> I would give this four bowls out of five of sugary breakfast cereal because I, Oh my God. Because because it's based on, it's based on the fun that I had with it. And, and, and not, and like I said, in an unironic way. That's the cereal talking. (laughs) No, that's how you've got to experience this is whacked out of your mind on breakfast cereal. And I'm telling you, it, it was, I had fun. I enjoyed it. I think think this whole experience takes Paul back to when he was like 10 years old. He's sitting yeah. in front of the TV on Saturday morning eating like 10 bowls of cereal. <laughs> yeah, but then I'm watching like, and, uh, watching like the real, I'm watching like, you know, the Roman holidays and, and, and the Brady kids TV cartoons. Those were crap, man. So this, <laughs> yeah. this was actually, this is, I mean, granted it's not Captain Lou Albano. So, no. you know, it, it might've gotten an extra half a bowl of cereal. If it had been Captain Lou, who knows the movie would have been done gangbusters. You know, if it was Captain Lou, the original Mario live action Mario, mm-hmm. I may add, but anyway, yeah, four, four sugary bowls of breakfast cereal. And, and I should stop talking at this point. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do I, I do have to say, I wish this film had been made in modern times when, these these projects have uh they're they're a little more referential to like what has gone before like in the in the last hulk movie we got like a cameo by lou frigno so if they made this movie today or if they had made this movie while he was still alive but in the like uh 2000s lou abano absolutely would have had a, a cameo in this movie so yeah missed opportunity renee i know you're not eating sugary cereal so i'll turn it over to you and see uh See, see what your your non uh, non sugared up uh, opinion is on this one. That is correct. I have thirty six feet of nerd's rope, um, <laughs> but I'm saving that for a different. <laughs> oh boy, saving that for the Living Dead series. Um, I you know, 
as we've established in previous episodes, I'm very nostalgic and Super Mario is, is one of those things that has been with me for forever. Um, I, you know, and it's, there were so many things about this movie that were really not great. But then there were so many things about it that were kind of great. Not great, great, but great. Um, <laughs> and uh, for me, it was, you know, I there were a lot of gifable moments. Um, and to me, that kind of makes something stand out a lot like Humanoids from the Deep. <laughs> wonderfully gifable movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I would, I have to give this a three and a half. Um, you know, there was just the this you know the whole situation was a hot mess but the people that were in it and the way that they acted it and it you know they really they really did give their all and i found them to be very entertaining with what they were given to work with um so i think it was not definitely absolutely not the worst film i've ever seen not the best film but not the worst film by far that is my score yeah three yeah. and a half videotapes i should say or three and a half love feet it. of nerd rope. <laughs> or, <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. Co- coincidentally, Paul actually used the exact term that I normally use to describe this film, which is this is an absolute fever dream of a movie. It should not exist. It has no right to exist. It makes no logical sense. It is far more fun than it has any right to be. And there are so many things that are, just downright terrible about it but on the flip side there are so many things that are great about it all of the technical behind the scenes stuff i think that the 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 fact that they built everything on this giant set and they did something that was actually very rare in filmmaking and they actually kind of tackled this in a somewhat novel way definitely shows i think the film has just a phenomenal amount of character i think that you know the all of the designers knocked it out of the park. This is a film that kind of looks, you know, it, it looks like you definitely see echoes of other movies, obviously like Blade Runner, but this is a film that stands on its own as just such a unique left filled thing in terms of like all of just the, the way that the world looks. I think that the performances again are just really surprisingly good considering the fact that you go back and read that literally no one wanted to be on set by the time they got, you know, a couple weeks into filming. Everyone kind of, it sound, well, not everyone hated each other because it does sound like some of the actors got along pretty well, which is great. But yeah, I, it's, it's very, this is honestly one that's very hard to rank because very often I, you know, rank films kind of as a whole cohesively. And it's, it's hard to rank a film that is, I think we've kind of acknowledged the direction is terrible. The script is all over the place, but then all this other stuff is so great. So like Paul, I have to mention, I mean, this is, this is an unironic ranking or an unironic rating, but I think ultimately just judging this film by how much fun I have watching it and how many like little moments, like kind of Renee mentioned there are so many like little moments that are so memorable and so weird and so odd. And I do kind of have to give it credit for all that stuff. So ultimately I'm going to say this is three and a half tapes because I accidentally uh, passed out 
after eating, not pacing myself <laughs> and eating too much sugary cereal halfway through one of my viewings. But um, yeah, so I'm going to say three and a half. I, I think that gives us an average of 3.1. Someone Wait, I'm, I'm the high score on this one? You were the high score. Yeah, Damn. Was... <laughs> wow. Well, you're high, all like, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was me. I was like, and big surprise, I was the lowest score. I don't know (laughs) if I can go for a full four, but to give it anything less than three and a half would be to just be in denial about how much I enjoy watching this movie. So I'm mainlining some more cereal. I mean, we can we can do a follow up like a year from now where we all just get high on Captain Crunch and 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 take another (laughs) fresh look and see how what we feel. I'm going to be I'm going to have to be high on something to watch this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, really, I just, oh my gosh, there's just, I, I mean, there were, there were movies that have some kind of rewatchability and I just, I would not put this in that category, but I mean, if I could have as much fun with it as you guys did, I guess I would watch sure. it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's definitely not a movie for everyone. Like I said, there seem to be a lot of people who have kind of glommed onto it. I will say like, it's funny because when you go, it's one of those movies. If you go and look at the IMDB ratings and it actually has like a lot of very low ratings. Um, and you, you get the sense that there are a lot of people who, uh, you know, obviously just don't like it like, you know, Alan, but then there are a lot of people who have kind of, I don't know. They, they've kind of they've kind of uh, adopted it, and if like I'm actually looking at the ratings right now, and it's like it looks like the the highest uh, the high the ranking with the the highest percentage is a four, and it has a four point one overall, and there are thirteen point two percent of them ha- give it a one, but then eight point four percent of the people who rated it on IMDb give it a ten. So it's kind of interesting. There's there's kind of a, a huge divide there. It's kind of funny because apparently there's also a huge divide on this one it's uh, hard to believe that anybody can give it a 10 i mean even you guys that like really like it i, I think you agree that it's not a it's not top notch oh no right? i i would I, I there's no way i could give it a 10 i i i suspect that the people who gave it a 10 saw the four and wanted to uh wanted to give it a, a curve <laughs> so <that>? up it <laughs> yeah i Rocky mean Morton's you know got like five different imdb accounts <laughs> It's just Rocky Morton. Yeah. Just every day he goes in, makes a new account, wakes up in the morning, has a bowl of yeah. sugary cereal, <laughs> gives him gives Super Mario Brothers a ten, yeah. uh, and, and then cries for the rest of the day. So mm-hmm. good, uh, you know, honest day's work. <laughs> cool. Well, I will I will add to the to the end of this episode what we're doing next. I don't think we know as of this recording because we have a couple things we've been talking about, but uh, our our release schedule has gotten kind of shuffled around because of various life things. So uh, hey, listen for probably another 30 seconds and I'll probably say what, uh, what episodes coming out next. So I guess if, uh, if, if no one else has anything else, we'll say uh, good night or goodbye. Yeah. Good night, folks. Farewell. Yeah. Good night. Peter Zane. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and, See ya. Uh, they must rescue the princess. And make it safely back. Later, alligators. To our world. Are you alright? Before time runs out.
Mario Brothers. This ain't no game.